Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-pilot. He's not as hairy as a Wookiee, but he has the temperament of one. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Drew Brett. See, you don't know that Wookiee thing for real. Uh, either one of them, as a matter of fact. That's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Could just show up all Robin Williams. Hair I everywhere. don't know what that means, but all right. Unfortunately, uh, I know what that means. Thank you, Mark. God. <laughs> hey, Mark, how are you doing? Hi, Drew. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for oh, asking. Hey, I was going to introduce you. You got to give me a I'm, second. Oh, Drew sorry, sorry. started talking about his body hair. <laughs> yeah, we got we got places to go and things to do, guys. Come on. Oh man, we haven't done uh, we haven't done a podcast with us, just like the three of us in like forever. So this is going to be a good time. We're going to be talking about uh, Finn tonight. But before we get into that, we have to dig into the the most important question in all of the galaxy. And Drew, because I kind of think I know Mark's answer, so I want to hold off on that one. I'm going to send it to you. What are you Star Warsing lately? Well, it's been a couple weeks since I feel like I've gotten to do a proper show with you guys. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of funny how I've realized just in the past week or two uh, that when I don't feel super happy and thrilled about things, I go shopping for dumb little collectible things that I, I always wanted as a kid but never actually bought for myself. So I found this website called Star Wars CCG Store. Uh, and it's swccgstore.com. And they sell the old Decipher card game cards in, by the, the individual so you can pick exactly which ones you want. And I said, you know what? It's time to go buy these some of these cards that I've always wanted. Um, which is really sad because it's a game that hasn't been in production for about 15 years. <laughs> and there's no, there's no one that plays it. And there's no reason to actually do anything with them. It, but it's really fun to collect them. So I finally got like the Wedge Antilles card that I've always wanted. I got the Boba Fett card that I always wanted. And, and this is really bad because I'm afraid that I'm going to go and start ordering more and more things that I don't actually use for anything. But it's been kind of fun to go back and, and, and remember all the things that I enjoyed collecting as a kid. And then the ability to go actually fill in some of those gaps now um, as an adult. I got a co- I bought a copy of... Um, one of the Yuzen Vong series, in the Yuzen Vong series, there's a two-part Edge of Victory story. It was two books. I can't remember what the exact titles were, but I think it was basically Edge of Victory 1 and 2. And I found a hardcover copy that had both books in one edition. And I looked it up online, and it was like selling on Amazon for like $50 a piece. But this bookstore I was at had it for $18. I said, you are absolutely coming home with me tonight. (laughs) Um, and it's just going to join the other stack of books of, of stuff that I've got and I'm not going to read for like 10, 20, 30 years, but it's going to be there on the shelf for when I want it. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, let's see what else has been going on. Um, I've been get trying to get geared up for celebration, which I know is in a few months. Yay. Um, 
which I'm really excited about. This will be the first one I get to go to and have no idea what to expect. Oh, you're in for such a treat. I can't wait. Mark, how many of these have you been to before? This will be my third. Dang. Yeah, so I so uh, I can tell you right now, you will be absolutely exhausted. There will oh, be good. Times, yeah, there will be times when you'll be really frustrated. But no matter how frustrated you get, when you leave, you always want to go back. You just always want to go back. It's going to be a challenge because the whole family is coming along. So I'm going to have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and then at that point, she'll be about 10 months old or so, nine, nine to 10 months old, and my wife, of course. So we got a whole crew coming in, and <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about walking around the Anaheim Convention Center for like 48 hours in a row with this whole gang of people and uh, making sure I have enough room in my, my carry-on luggage to buy all kinds of cool stuff and bring them home. Yeah, I've I've always questioned your sanity in <laughs> doing that. Wow. Okay. Um, That's your takeaway. Got it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no, no. I I think it'll I think it, yes. it'll be quite the experience because it, it'll be cool to for you to be able to like experience it yourself for the first time, but then also see it through the eyes of your kids. For oh, the first totally. Time. You know, like because I know even just going to like intergalacticon which is super small i was just like wow this is so cool and like celebration i just know is gonna absolutely blow my mind and that inner child in me is just gonna oh yeah go crazy um yeah i'm so excited for it and it's like it's it's crazy because like this year like 2019 there was a lot of stuff going on but i feel like 2020 there's these things that we've just been looking forward to for so long now like Clone Wars came back uh, today at the time of this recording. Um, Project Luminous is going to be is probably already out it's by the time you're listening corner, to this. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and it's just like it's it, it feels like there's a lot strong like it feels more focused like yeah. that releases for information are kind of not necessarily paced out because I feel like we've been getting stuff pretty close together but these important beats of things are hitting at the right time where by the time we get around to the, the summer we'll I think Clone Wars will be done by then right we'll have the whole yes. oh, yeah it'll, it's something like 13 episodes over the course of one week or something yeah, I think uh, May the 4th, I'm looking at my calendar right now. May the 4th, I think, is the last. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. May How th- cute. So they <laughs> they planned that accordingly. Um, oh, they're so clever, those guys. And then I feel like, I like Mandalorian am... coming back, too, there'll be... I feel like there's going to be even more hype for Mandalorian coming back than there was for it even coming. Like, there's a lot co- happening. Absolutely. This year. Yeah, I I am so I was so excited about Mandalorian, and it was, it, and that really did live up to the my expectations at least. And so having a second season of that, I think on October is when that is coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's going to be earlier this this. Yeah, year. and I'm kind of glad for that. I think it's going to be be nice to have that in that that season of time. Boy, I, I tell you, that's probably the most exciting thing on the horizon right now for me is a second season of that show. I, I, I absolutely loved season one um, and cannot wait to get more of that in. But yeah, well, like I said, bringing my kids is, is going to be interesting because it, the, we have tickets for the for Friday and Saturday. So it's not we don't have the four four day tickets. I don't think I could even stand four days of this kind of a crowd back to back to back to back. 
but it's at the end of our travel. Like, so we're taking a week to be out in California and it's the last two days before Sunday we fly home. So there's a 95% chance that the wife and kids are going to be too tired and exhausted to want to go back on the Saturday. So I'm really secretly, not so secretly hoping that they'll just kind of want to take it easy, go sit by the pool, and I will go back into the exhibit hall and, and wander around. <laughs> That's yes, what I'm if, if you're planning your celebration days to, get, to be at the end of your vacation, you're going to be yeah. exhausted. Well, any vacation with kids is not actually a vacation at all. So right. I'm kind of used to this by now. This time it's for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to slip a little bit of Benadryl. Aren't you guys sleepy? You want to go back to the hotel? You look yeah, really tired. That is a great idea. <laughs> let's, let's be clear. Drugging your family members is That's not a good probably idea. probably not a good idea. No, I However, I can see the, <laughs> the positives and the negatives. That's uh, terrible. Um, the other thing we did, we I we I wanted to make sh- sure I got to see uh, Rise of Skywalker one last time before it left theaters. And out of like the 15 movie theaters that show up on Fandango within like a 15 or 20 mile radius from me, only two were playing it left. And I was able to get in on Monday a showing with the kids as well. And they had I, I, I kind of want to share this experience because it was not what I expected. So I the two boys again are eight and six. And the eight-year-old hated every minute of it. Um, But it had more to do with the theater experience than the actual film. I think it was so loud and so intense and like so flashbang, everything moving so fast. And it was really scary at the beginning for him that he couldn't enjoy the movie at all. And I've never had that experience before. Um, I love going to the movie theater. I would go watch anything at the movie theater at, at any moment of any day. Um, which my six-year-old, Holden, loved it. He was glued to it the whole time. He loved the whole thing. Babu Frick was his favorite part. He laughed every time he was on screen. So it was just kind of interesting to see the dynamic between the two kids who said, one of them said, this was so much fun, I can't wait to do it again. And the other one says, I don't ever want to go to the movie theater (laughs) for the rest of my life. (laughs) So if anybody wants an eight-year-old, I guess you know I'll trade you or something because I'm going to the movies all the time. Yeah, I just went back and saw it. I, I uh, what was it for the fifth time last weekend? And fifth time, good grief! How how have your opinions of it evolved over those five viewings? Okay, right? yeah. so the the first two viewings were like in the same. Well, first three viewings were in like the same weekend, and then I went later on a couple weeks later, and it had been a while since I had gone which is kind of why i wanted to to go see it like one more time because i've kind of come to terms with the things that i like and the things that i don't like um uh-huh. and and especially talking with Lindsay and other people who really enjoy the movie and getting like their interpretation on it um it did help me enjoy it more i still have Rise of Skywalker, I think, is the mo- is is the Star Wars movie that I enjoy in isolation, but I don't necessarily enjoy it for where it's placed in the story. Ah, that's very interesting. I think that's a very important uh, piece of information. Like, I wonder if that helps people at all. Um, Mark, what about you? Because how many times have you seen it now? I think I'm now officially, other than maybe, I don't know how many times Adriana's seen it, but I think I might be the one that's seen it the fewest times, only twice. Yeah, you you and I are tied. Okay. Then I thought I, you'd seen I thought this was your third time to see it. 
No, I, I made it for opening night, and then this time, uh, just within the past week, those have been the only two times I've seen it, unless there was some magical third screening that I blacked out for. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm still in that sort of world between worlds where I haven't quite <laughs> formed a concrete opinion yet. I mean, I still have the impressions of that first weekend with me. And mm. I'm actually looking forward to seeing it when it comes out on, on home video because then that's where I really start to formulate a more permanent view of the movie is when I can view it at any time I want to. And I've actually been like eager to see it again. So that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. Cause you were n- neutral to not positive on it when it yeah. first came around. Right. Yeah. I, I, the first time was a, was a very disappointing experience. And then the second time I think it improved because I already knew what was going to, you know, I knew what to expect Right. And I started, I was I made a point to look for things that I liked. And I found that there oh, were a lot of things that I did like. But then, uh, I don't know, just, you know, that break that I took from Twitter was really good. But, but it was not what I expected because, I like I said before, I've never actually walked out truly, really utterly disappointed in a Star Wars. I've always found something to <laughs> like about it. And I expected the Twitter break to be my chance to sort of love the movie and not have to listen to anyone else complain about it. And I did not expect to walk out and not like it, but it turned out Mm. to be a great thing anyway, because I got to process my feelings about it and the negativity I felt about it. I could sort of just bounce that off of close friends, you guys, my family members, and I didn't have the internet screaming in my ear about what I should think about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's interesting. It helped me get over it. I mean, to put it in a really basic terms, I I'm fine with it now. Like, it's it's still not my favorite Star Wars, and I have a lot of issues with it. But <laughs> I don't feel like the soul crushing despair that you see on on Twitter that a lot of fans feel. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to diminish that. But for me personally, I was able to get past that, and I'm glad I could because there's so much more in Star Wars that I'm looking forward to. I don't want to be dragged down by feelings of like uh you know that wasn't what it was meant to be yeah well and interesting you kind of reflecting on how that twitter break kind of helped you got me looking at like what was different about me going into this movie than going into the other movies and you know we always talk about like expectations and don't set expectations this is the movie i went in with the most expectations I, yeah. I I had certain things that I was like, this is how oh. this is going to happen. Uh, this is what I expect of it. And not it wasn't even me like making an active conscious decision. It was just I was listening to stuff and reading stuff and whatever. And I just came up with all these like this would be the, the best way for this to happen or whatever. Um, and so going in when they mm. took drastic left turns from where – I thought the story was going. I think that that really put a bad taste in my mouth. And and I've told you guys, like, my first viewing experience has a huge effect on me. Um, mm. Like, Last Jedi yep. is, is one of my favorite Star Wars movies, not because, well, it is probably <laughs> one of the best Star Wars movies, but it's one of my favorites because of the ride it took me on the first time. Um, and 
like Attack of the Clones, I'm always going to love because I remember sitting in the theater when they were flying through the asteroid field and dropping those sonic bombs and you just get the the silence and then the boom and it was just like wow you can have like a sound experience while you're in a theater there's and that's stuck <laughs> with me since i was like 11 years old like that there was something more than just like that's interesting things on the screen and and that's just me personally you know um and how i interpret movies but i was thinking about it and i went into solo Having watched the trailers, I went into Rise of Skywalker having watched the trailers. I was disappointed in both. Now, see, I, I was I was going to ask you about that because I don't you, – you also just said that you listened to a lot of other things and read a lot of articles going into the film. But I was going to ask you because I couldn't remember your, your uh, trailer exposure this time around. But do you think – and can you, can you honestly separate – the influence of the trailer and the expectations set by that as compared to uh, maybe other theories or expectations or things that you experienced online and the impact that it had on your expectations? I mean, scientifically, no, but theoretically, I'm a very visual person. So okay. once I've seen those images, it's in my head. Um, and... <clears throat> It just it's marinating there, and so it it it's one thing I think for me when I hear people talking about it or read ideas about where things are gonna go, but I haven't seen any visual images that I can attach it to and say, ah, yes, this is what this is what that means. Yeah, um, from the thing, and, and so it's like it's like the the Snokus Plagueis thing, for example, right? Like. I didn't have anything visual to put that with other than like, you know, some really grabbing at, at straws kind of things. And so when Snoke wasn't Plagueis, I was like, okay, you know, and it was easy to move on. And I still think it would have been cool if they had found a way to pull it off, but whatever. Whereas some of the things that I am not a fan of in Rise of Skywalker were because of these ideas that I had about the story that they were telling. I also have issues with the, the way the writing was approached just in general. I think JJ and Chris Terrio went in with the mentality of, we have to shock people more than Ryan Johnson shocked people. And I don't think that was a good way to approach the end of, of the mythology. Um, but in general, just like from my experience, yeah, I think because rogue one, I had a lot of ideas about, uh, Force Awakens, not so much. Last Jedi, I had ideas about where things could be going, but those I hadn't watched the trailer. So, hmm. interesting. Okay, I was trying to like analyze. Well, not analyze. That's not. I wouldn't want to analyze you <laughs> to your face like this. Um, maybe just behind your back a little bit. That's fair. I appreciate <laughs> it. The difference, the way in which people experience things, is kind of interesting to me because I feel like. When we we bring everybody brings their own particular set of expectations into something like this, and it's kind of interesting to see a how are those fulfilled, b how are those subverted, and see where do they even come from. And if you're you, you say you're a more visual person, so the trailers and, and materials released have uh, a stronger impact on you than than you know theorizing or stuff that's much more hypothetical than than what's released actually by Lucasfilm. Mark, what about you? Do you feel like, what was your experience going in before the film came out? Like, how are you gearing up for it? Were you watching the trailers and reading stuff too? 
Well, I I did watch the trailers. Um, sometimes I watch trailers. Sometimes I don't watch trailers, and it's not. I really, it really comes down to how much I want to keep as as something that I'm going to see for the, for the first time in a theater rather than in a you know a marketing promotional thing. Uh-huh. Um, but I went into the Rise of Skywalker fully aware that there were a lot of expectations riding on this because they were playing it up as well. It's the end of the saga. It's taken 40 years to get here. And I was, I was really aware of like how much pressure I was putting on the film to be something, you know, maybe that it couldn't live up to, to be. I was completely aware that that was a possibility. So I didn't exactly go in with all these high expectations. And, and I went into it like I go into most films I I really don't go in expecting A, B, and C, and D to happen. I don't go in with a list of demands. There are things that I would like to see, but when that projector starts and the movie starts and the credits come up, I really just kind of release everything and just go with the flow. And mm-hmm. and my experience with a movie is very, um, I guess what empathic or it's it's everything is felt. I feel everything. I don't spend a lot of time analyzing things in my head. I'm feeling them as they happen. And just at some point in the film, and it was probably the the Palpatine reveal, the the granddaughter reveal, something just shifted in mm. the movie. And it never corrected itself. And by the by the final act, when they were at Exegol. I just had this incredibly strange feeling I've never felt in a Star Wars where I was completely disconnected from what I was watching emotionally. Yes. Yes. And it I, was I, I completely understand that. It was upsetting. Like that's the thing that upset <laughs> me. You know, Brandon, you talk about how you have all these memories of of the the you know, you, you remember what it felt like to hear the explosions and I remember the Empire Strikes Back and seeing it as a kid. And the ATAT falling on the ground, and I grab my bro- little brother's arm, like when it hit the ground. Like I have those kinds of specific memories. Every single Star Wars movie has one of those memories for me. This, unfortunately, is the one where I remember how it felt to be utterly dis- disappointed in what I was watching. Wow. Like, tr- yeah, truly disappointed. I, I, um, I, I love how you said that, like that. That moment of the reveal is when you you could actually like sense yourself disconnecting like it, disengaging from the magic of the film because i can sympathize with that but it occurred a little bit earlier on like the first time we see ray in rise of skywalker where she's you know floating in the air meditating and trying to connect with the jedi of the past and she breaks her 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 trance and then she kind of like spins down to the ground and i, I watched that my wife and i both were like we can see the the, the wire gimbal that she's on like the way her body is moving, yeah. we know exactly what happened. We we're like, boy, that looks like it was uncomfortable, or like, you know, oh boy, that's, you know, we're imagining the wire rigging, which immediately takes us out of the film, and that was the disconnect point too. It's like now the, the spell has been broken, and I can see through it, and it's like, oh, this is not great. Um, but as like since since Brandon got his moment, and and Mark, you had your moment with Empire Strikes Back. I remember when when they re-released the films in the late nineties for the special edition in the theaters, uh-huh. when we, d- we got to see return of the Jedi, um, at the very end of the film, when Anakin has been redeemed and he's laying on the, the ramp of the Imperial shuttle 
and he finally dies and Luke is kind of like letting him go. And then you hear the first couple notes of the Imperial March plucked on a violin strings like that killed me uh-huh. as like an 11 or 12 year old. I was like, it was the moment where the music took something that was meant for evil, but used it for like sadness and, and a little bit of good. But and it was kind of like something I had never experienced at that young age to say, oh, man, this is what the power of the movies can really be like. Yeah, that's uh, that's it's interesting that that's the movie that you have the memory of where something in you as a child changed where you had this perception of of things being more, I don't know, gray or darker or deeper than what you had perceived before. And it was Return of the Jedi that had the exact same effect on me as a kid when I saw it originally. Mm. And it was that 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 it was the first time that I felt the tragedy of the story. And it was the moment. Oh wow! Interesting. Yeah, it was the moment where uh, Vader is is sort of taunting Luke, and he's in hiding, and he says, "You know, I sense that you have a sister." And Luke lashes out at him, and, oh. and that, where the music swells, and there's that panning shot. I still remember the feeling of how sad I was. Yes, it wasn't, you can it feel wasn't, like this is wrong. This is yeah. wrong. Yeah, this is this wasn't exciting. This was Luke was being pushed to the dark side, and 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 his father. I just felt the tragedy of it, and that was the first time as a kid that I actually experienced something in a film that made me think of storytelling that way. Oh, that's so cool! It's Brandon. How do you how do you, you like Return of the Jedi? Right? Have you seen this one before? Uh, I think so. <laughs> is it the is it the the second one or the third one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Okay. No, actually, it's it's, it's funny you got, that you, you mentioned that moment, Mark, because that, like, the you talking about like pinpointing moments where things changed for you. That is the moment where I started looking at films as more than just something like something that could be analyzed, something that you could look at for for deeper meaning, and not just something you you know. Oh, let's go. You know, go to the movie theater and and watch a movie and have fun. It was that moment where you see Luke's face and it's half shadow and half light. And I don't, it was just yeah. a revelation uh-huh. I had. I don't remember, it wasn't in the theater because I, I didn't see Return of the Jedi in the theater, but it was at home one time and I was watching it and I was just like, oh. And for that was the moment where now I started looking at like the lighting of things and the colors that people are wearing and, and color theory and all these things that would eventually lead you know, down the road to what we do here with overanalyzing everything and things like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I may yep. have seen Return of the Jedi once or twice. I mean, it's pretty good. You should put it on like your uh, Disney Plus queue or something to get it, get at it sometime. So what do you think, and this is kind of a, a hypothetical, but in like 10, 15 years from now, there are going to be kids who are between the ages of 9 and 12 who saw Rise of Skywalker and there may have been a moment for them where a similar experience occurred where they were like, oh, there's something more going on than simply what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing because all of this combined makes me feel a different way. And I'm wondering if you had to pinpoint a moment like that in Rise of Skywalker, where would you put your money? Um, mm. Which is going to be tough, especially if you're not super hot on the film. But I think... I think if I was going to put money on something like that, the moment where Ray and Ben connect 
and he look. They're both looking directly at the camera, so they're looking at you in the audience. They're looking directly into your eyes, and Ben gives that slight smile and nod, like we're gonna do this. This is gonna be yeah. great. I think yeah. that's probably the closest moment I can identify. What do you guys think? Is, is there a different one that might I would stick I, out? I would say I would say the the same basic moment. I would say just that whole end part with Ben. And and the fact that he doesn't say anything, and and the visual storytelling that takes place there, um, you know that that's very much you know uh, a George Lucas, you know it can be a silent film kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think nowadays there's the times when they're trying to tell such big stories where it's it's not meant to fit into like two hours this is one of the problems that the prequels had that clone wars helped so much with is you can't is you either have to have obi-wan sit on the log and explain everything to you or you're missing important pieces like how did palpatine come back and there's not that visual storytelling happening as as much nowadays Uh, a lot of it i feel like is in the dialogue because the the visuals are all about like making it bright and, and, and exciting to watch and not necessarily yeah. telling a story. Yeah. And they tell a really great story there. Like just, and even, you know, having, uh, Ben shoot, you know, backwards like Han did in force awakens. Um, the, the shrug, I will never stop talking about. That's one of my favorite star Wars moments, <laughs> period. Just little things like that. Um, even, even him jumping and, and hitting that giant change and saying, Oh, you know, it's yeah. it's like, oh, he yeah. feels now. Okay, I got it. And, and I think the third act of this, the third act of this film, I think, is going to age really, really well. I think we're going to be able to get some some good meaning and conversation out of specifically that last act once everybody gets to Exegol. The I first think part I, of the film, I don't know so much. Well, I'm kind of I'm kind of flipped on that, but um, oh I really? Yeah, for the first half of the film is what actually works for me, and it's the second half that doesn't. But, oh dear. I, <laughs> but my money would be on the scene where the Jedi speak to Rey. That would that would be the to me the oh. moment that would probably speak to children, especially if they have, if at that point they're watching the ninth film, and they've seen the other eight. Um, first of all. Like when when do they have time to do this? I didn't have time to watch that many movies when I was a kid. But anyway, uh, yeah, if if they've watched the saga up to that point, I think that's maybe where things start to come together. Because even though I have a, a lot of problems with the third act of this film, there has there are a lot of great moments, like the shrug, like just about anything that Ben does in the third act. I'm I'm really happy with. Um, but. Yeah, so, but it's also very difficult to try to imagine what is going to speak to a child today because I don't know that, it, you know, like, could adults have predicted what would have affected us at the time? I think there is a, a certain level of craftsmanship that is good at that. Um, and I think you, you'd look at and consider um, Pixar as the gold standard for that kind of thing because the way Pixar films not only entertain and keep you engaged, but also speak to you on those, those kinds of levels. Um, they use old toys to make us feel the pains of aging. You know, mm-hmm. they use, uh, imaginary friends to teach us about emotions and 
they use an old cranky man and a young boy scout to teach us about family and whatnot. So I think it can be done. I think it's extremely difficult, especially when you try and use that in the Star Wars universe, which is not intended as much as it is intended for those nine to 12 year olds. It's not simply intended for them. You know, there are so many different points of view that you can feel Rise of Skywalker is specifically trying to hit. And when you're trying to hit all these different spots for all these different people and all their different expectations, you are going to miss more often than you're going to hit, I think. When you, as opposed to something like, mm, I don't know, what Star Wars movie would be a good example of the opposite of that? With a laser focus to say this is what, you know, Last Jedi, I feel like, is a much more laser focused effort to say this is the story I want to tell. These are the themes I want you to pick up on. And at the same time, it's going to be dang entertaining and it'll keep you engaged. My kids love Last Jedi. I have no idea why. Because there's not a lot that actually, I feel like, happens happens in that film. You have the opening space battle and you have the Battle of Crate. But in between, there ain't a whole lot of action that goes on in that film. Yeah, out of all the movies, it feels like the most mature one. It really is, but it yeah. grabs these kids' attention. Like they love, well, at least I can only speak for the, the kids that live in my house. Um, but they like they love how it it spends just enough time. I think with individual sections, like you get just enough time of Ray on Octo, you get just enough time of Poe and his shenanigans. Maybe just a little bit too much of Finn. We'll talk about that later on. Um, <laughs> but the way in which it's structured, I feel like. It, it treats the material with such respect. Again, the way Pixar does, it treats its themes with such respect, but also it treats its audience with respect, too. So can they, can they tailor a movie specifically to what will keep a kid in those kind of age brackets engaged? Yes, I think it can be done. I don't think Rise of Skywalker is a great example of that, but I guess time will only tell. Um, we'll have to pick it up on Blu-ray and digital when it comes out in like a month or two and be upset that the version that's coming out doesn't have any commentary or deleted scenes, but we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> Um, I think also so like, frustrated. This is the worst uh, physical release, by the way. Like, why can't J.J. Abrams put a commentary in his first release? Like, what cowardice does he suffer from? Ryan Johnson put out a a soundtrack only version uh, with his film. Like, come on, Abrams, talk to us and tell us what you were trying to do. Abram, he doesn't like to tell us anything. Um, <sighs> good point. I think one of the you know going back to to what you were saying before, just to kind of wrap that up. One of the things that or one of the ways I think that I judge like how current stories, which current stories are going to like last um, with with the kids of the next generation is how quickly can I bring said story into the classroom? Thanos and the snap, I could bring it in real quick and I could go, you guys have seen Avengers. And they're like, yeah. And everybody in the class had seen Avengers and so I could reference that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you, it's something simple like that that you can just bring in, you know, again, going back to the Pixar idea. It's not that complicated. Bring, you know, toys. Yes, we've all pretended they're alive, so it's easy for us to believe that they're alive. And we've all had emotional connection to one toy or another. So it's re- And I wonder if there is going to be that for kids in rise of skywalker you know i wonder if there's going to be that that thing that they can cling to because i think even even mark talking about you know that that moment with all the jedi speaking to ray 
you have to have a history there. And and does it have as much of an impact yeah. if you're not attached to Ahsoka or you're not attached There's to Ayla a- Secura or, you know, Luminar Unduli? Well, like, or if you can't tell who they are, like you have to do so much homework to understand who those voices are coming from because my wife who has no idea who any of those characters are. Just thought they were just just people that they had recorded reading lines. They didn't, she didn't know that each each line comes from a specific actor who is associated with a specific role. She doesn't have that attachment because she hasn't done the homework, which is fine. She's not gonna. And even like you and I and the three of us who have seen all of well, okay, I can't admit to having seen all of Clone Wars. I think I skipped a bunch in season five. But we know who Kanan Jarrus is. We know who Ahsoka is. I don't know that I could pick out half the Jedi the first time I heard that that sequence. Like I don't, I did not realize until the second time that Anakin has more than one line. Like he speaks two or three times, and I didn't know that the first time. I couldn't catch it because I simply couldn't parse out who it was and what they were supposed to be saying. And if those of us who are this invested in this blasted series can't pick it up the first time it goes around how in the world is someone who has not done that homework ever going to be able to attach to that well i think we're analyzing it from point of view of like are they going to know who all these people are and i'm i'm what i think i was trying to to suggest is that the the moment itself of her reaching beyond herself to a shared history with the Jedi. Is, uh, oh, that's okay. that's what I was referring okay, to. Okay. Less 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 you, about. Okay. Yeah. You weren't saying you, you were not. Uh, oh wow, they brought all these people back. Or oh, I rec- okay. Right, I'm sorry. Right. Maybe I misunderstood what you were going for. If we want to talk about uh, doing homework, you know who always does their homework? Not my students. No, no, no. But it's Bill from Happy Beeps. Happy Beeps, here, buddy. Come on. <laughs> I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats. I'm with the droid Happy on this one, buddy. Come on. Okay. We're talking Finn, which means we have charts on Finn and Finn Toys from happybeeps.net. If you are not already a member of there, definitely go uh, sign up there and keep track of your collection. There's a lot of cool uh, new stuff that is coming, so you're going to want to be there and ready for it. But we got to talk about Finn. We got to talk about his toys. And and there's an interesting trend um, with Finn toys um, that I kind of want to bear down on here and i, and I want to start that by looking at the toys from each film and i want you two gentlemen oh, interesting we have force awakens last jedi rise of skywalker put them in the order from the l- most amount of toys to the least amount of toys most fin toys overall this is action figures bobbleheads cars legos plush all the categories most fin toys to least fin toys. Mark first. Okay. Mm. Well, let's see. The logical assumption would be that the first film would have the most toys, but I'm thinking instead of that being the case, it would be more likely that the third film, since it's the final film, would have the most merch 
So that would be my guess, would be the Rise of Skywalker has the most. Okay, and then second would be? Um, I'm going to say it's probably The Force Awakens would be second, and then Last Jedi would be last. Okay, Drew, submit your answer. I'm, I'm going to go in release order. Force Awakens has the most, and then The Last Jedi, and then Rise of Skywalker has the least. Damn it. I should not have let you go second. You had too much time to <laughs> What? That is correct. Hey. Here's the, here's the thing. It is drastically different. You have really? in what way? You have 24 fin toys for Force Awakens, okay? You have 12 for Last Jedi. You have 3 for Rise of Skywalker. Oh, what? That's insulting. What? Like you cut it in half from Force Awakens to Last Jedi. Albeit, Force Awakens, big marketing push. They had a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. He was at the forefront. Not and necessarily... Number a uh, number of costume changes as well. You've got Stormtrooper Finn. You've got no. On the Run Finn. You've got Poe's Jacket Finn. I feel like there's an opportunity there for different iterations within the same kind of, like, you know, 3.75-inch figure. Last Jedi, there. There's Finn in the bag. <laughs> Can't have bite Finn, and that's kind of it. And then well, man, when they go, Skywalker. They go undercover as first officer. That's first true. Order. Yeah. That's true. I'd forgotten about that one, so that's not bad. But, but keep but in Rise mind that this is total toys, though. This isn't just variants of the three I mean, and three quarter yeah. inch. But I think that, for me, sets the benchmark. Like that's how the, the way in which I think of these things is like, the action figures are going to be your primary source of variations um, as the largest, uh, gee, I don't know, largest avenue of marketing, whatnot. Um, now, my, you know, my question, I would have the question of whether how he compares to the other characters. Like, is that across yes. the board the same for all? Or is it just his character reduces in number over time? Uh, that would be that would be an like, interesting one. Get on because, it. Pull up yeah. the charts. <laughs> well, I do have I do have another chart here that is total toys by character from seventy seven to twenty twenty. So and okay. I think this so this it'll kind of give us a semblance of an idea of where Finn stands at. I'm gonna go through yeah, overall popularity of the character is kind of is going right. to scale. You know, if if they, if Ray is 17 times as many toys as Finn, I think that we can kind of understand that. So this isn't obviously every Star Wars character. So I'm just gonna quickly list the characters that we are dealing with here um, on this chart. We've got Kylo Ren, Ray, Darth Maul, Palpatine, Battle Droid, Amidala, Lando Calrissian, Jawa, Poe Dameron, Finn, BB-8. Sand Trooper, Django Fett. <laughs> okay, so now, so that does that. So you you, you just read off this uh, you know cacophony of characters. Um, is that in order from most versions down to least versions? Yes. So Finn has almost as many different versions as Sand Trooper. There, therein lies the question: How many more? <laughs> toys do you think finn has than the sand trooper oh man drew you got it right so you have to go first uh 
can you give me one? Can you give me the value for one of them, and then I guess the other? No, like, I have no idea what the scale. Okay. Yeah. All right. Pop quiz. What's the name of the civilian trooper in A New Hope? I don't know. I haven't read Truce at Bikura yet. <laughs> it's not in Truce at Bikura, but all right. It's Trooper Davin Felth. Very good. Well done. Those of you playing at home, yelling at your phones. Good job. You did it. Um, Finn, well, hang on. We just we just said this. The Rise of Skywalker had three. Last Jedi had six. And Force Awakens had 20-something or 12-something? 24. So let's say 30, conservatively, for Finn. How many different versions of toys out there are, for, are there for... Uh, generic stormtrooper and or trooper Davin Felth. Uh, I'm going to say five. So you think the difference is five? Uh, no, 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 no. I think the difference is the sand trooper is sand troopers value is one sixth the value of Finn's okay. number. Okay. I don't know what Finn's number is, but if you take Finn's number, divide it by six and round it mm, up to the nearest integer, that's the value I'm going to give you. You didn't answer the question, but you, you're still wrong. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I, just, you just, I just went. I just gave you your... like like I gave you a dissertation on the statistical analysis of the the stormtrooper. But Come that wasn't on. my that wasn't my question. Uh, I said I'm going to give you a ratio. It's uh, my story. I'm sticking to it. Thirty to five. I mean, I like that you have a brand and you're sticking to it. I, I'm not faulting you there. I'm just <laughs> pointing out. The realities of the situation. All right, Mark. There, there's a very few people out there who can appreciate it, and you know what? I appreciate those people too. Yeah. Well, algorith algorithms make my head hurt, so I'm not going to use a formula. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to pick a number and Gosh. say eight. Well... If we are playing by Price is Right rules. Which we Mark, always do. We do. Mark would win. But Mark is still very far off. What? Sand Trooper. Not Storm Trooper. Sand Trooper. Not, not, not variants of Storm Troopers. Just the Sand Trooper. We, un on we understand the concept of a Sand Trooper. Cut to the chase. I just want to build this moment up. Thirty-seven like sand trooper toys. Oh, smokes. wow! Thirty-nine fin toys. Ugh, so I was way off. The only character on this list that has less than fin is BB-8. By one, BB-8 has thirty-eight. Wow. To That's put it into perspective, weird. also to put this into perspective, Jawa, 43. <laughs> They've been around longer, so you have yeah. micro-machines. And you've got little Jawas and tall Jawas and in-between Jawas. <laughs> There's that one really tall Jawa. <laughs> that really you know, tall guy. Hope. Yeah. Paul? Was that his name, Paul? Or There you go. Uh, yeah. There's Pete, the assistant manager, and... Wait, is that in the special edition or the original cut? Well, like the two jobs, like, I'm not going to go through this now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's Dothcha. He's the leader of the Jawas on Tatooine. There's Hetnikik, who is in Jabba's palace. <laughs> guys, I'm real cool, okay? 
Oh, we oh, believe it's you. Eye, it's eye-opening. It is very <laughs> eye-opening. All right, and to wrap up our happy beeps section, you know, Drew, you talked about uh, how, you know, the action figures kind of give you an idea of where the character stands. So since yes. you wanted to bring in, in ratios here, uh, we have... On this list of total toys by type, we have action figures, we have bobbleheads, we have cars, Legos, and plush. So I'm going to give each of you one of said categories, and you are going to pick the ratio of action figures to said category. Oh, I'm cow. so confused. Okay. <laughs> I love this. Let's let's do I'm this for so the next confused. hour. <laughs> okay. 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 I want to go first because I think I this is this is m- my kind of, of of itch scratching right here. Wait, are you um, going for all of them or no? Oh, no, but I certainly feel like I could. Okay, um, well, I'm going to give you action figures being the greater in the ratio to uh, bobbleheads. Bobble so it's heads. like okay. it's like we're saying like three to one. Yes. Yes. Okay. Means, that means for every three versions of action figures, there would be one version of a bobblehead. So you kind of got to figure out how many versions of bobbleheads there are and then use that kind of and then scale up or down to see how many kinds of action figures. Now, we know how many kinds of action. Well, we don't know how many kinds of action figures. We only know total. And total was mm, 39. If I was listening, you weren't, figure action okay. figures. I'm going to let's pretend nobody else was anyway. It was um, 39. I'm just total kidding. number. Boom. Boom. Um, all right, total number. This is so fun, by the way. <laughs> I, I am legit having a good time. I am the only one having a good time, but that's fine. 39 entries total. We'll call them entries individually. Action figures make up, mm, I'm going to estimate two-thirds. So two-thirds of 39 is going to be 26. The ratio cannot be that strong. Bobbleheads is probably going to be above cars, but not above plushes. Or Legos. Legos would be most. Plushes next. Cars and bobbleheads. What am I looking for? Am I looking for bobbleheads? Yes. All right. All right. So action figures, then Legos, then plushes, then bobbleheads, then cars. It can't be more than like two cars. So I'm going to say, th- if I say three for bobblehead, that's Five, 26, 5 is 31. That leaves 8, dividing over 3. Da, 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 da. Yeah, okay. So, 26 action figures to approximately three bobbleheads. That's a ratio of basically 7 to 1. That's my answer. It's a ratio of 7 to 1, estimating three different bobbleheads. You know, Come on. All, all things considered, that was pretty impressive. It was how, wrong, how but it was impressive. Uh, you weren't too far off. It, there were bobbleheads were about a third of the action. Dang, figures. what? Yes. So I think where you you made so your mistake. There's like four. Well, no, but you have to consider there's the Funko Pops, but then there's also the the miniature. Um, Oh wait a minute! Little mystery do Funko, boxes. Do the Funko? This is going to reveal a, a particular lack of a collecting habit. Funko Pop bo- heads bobble. Yes. Yes. Oh. Some do, some don't. Oh, now wait a minute! You can't do. That's not fair. You can't do some do and some don't. <clears throat> hey, okay. I, I, 
talk to the talk to the arbiter. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to file a, an official complaint with the potential rules violation here, guys. Interesting. So, so how many bobblehead things were there? What was the number? There were seven. Seven. Yes. So if they make up to if they're a third, so it's like what twenty something. There's action 20, figures? twenty action figures. Twenty action figures and seven bobbleheads. Tell tell me this. Did I get them in the right order, at least, of greatest numbers to least numbers? Action figures, Legos, plush, bobblehead, cars? No. Dang it! Guys! Action figures, Lego, bobbleheads, plush, cars. (sighs) All right, so I I swapped plushes and bobbleheads. I've learned my lesson for next time, guys. Plushes are always lower than you would expect. It's a very weird trend. So, Mark, considering that, how many uh, Legos do you think Finn had? I was hoping you'd forgotten about me. <laughs> Mark's um, going to go and just pick a number. I just hear all these numbers, like and I'm just like, oh, my God. I, like My teacher said, you'll need math, and I didn't realize it would be for Star Wars. <laughs> uh you guys want to so, go calculate right angles after this is over? So I'm comparing I'm comparing Legos to everything else. No, just how many how many Lego fins were there? Just a yeah, number. We know, you know that there are twenty different kinds of action figures. You know that there are seven different kinds of bobbleheads, but you know that there are more Legos than there are bobbleheads and plushes and cars. As there would be, because there are tend to be a lot of Legos. And not a lot of cars. <laughs> um, and the number we're working with is 39? The number we're working with is 39. The numbers you have been given so far is seven bobbleheads and 20 action figures. Guys, okay. fascinating. All right. Um, I'm going to say then that the number of Legos is six. Mark, Mark, higher than seven, lower than 20. <laughs> Wait a minute. The one thing you had to keep in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead, guys. I'm dead. <laughs> Show's over. I've listened so we cannot to this, go home now. I've listened to this segment on other shows. It's never been this complicated. <laughs> Ever. Guys, I know. It's because I haven't been here for enough of them. I'm working on it. <laughs> This is my kind of kink. All you do had to do Come was on. pick a number between 7 and 20. <laughs> well, like, in my head I was thinking and I was thinking, okay, we have the we have the 20, we have the 7. So I'm thinking it's the next lowest down number. Right? No, no, no. no. They're they're ranked they're ranked in order of of a population. 20 is the most. Right. Than- Legos is the next populous category, and then plushes, and then bobbleheads, how did and we then determine, cars. How did we determine that Legos was the next populous, though? I asked him, and he t- I asked Brandon to confirm oh. the order in which I, I presumed, and he told me I was 60% correct. Okay, so what the 60%? 60%. So that, there were five of them. I got two of them wrong. It's not hard. That's what threw me, because I thought that the, that the highest number was 20. The next down was seven. And then I was, uh, I, that's what I was judging, that, that we would then go to Legos would be six and cars would be 
I don't know, four. And then, you know, that's, there was a logic to the number that I chose. I promise you. See? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, try, try, let's now, now that we're all operating under the same set of operational procedures and tools, we know that the greatest number is 20 and we know that Legos fall between 20 and seven. Give it a shot. If you say eight, I'm going to punch you. Thirteen. See, you should have let Drew punch you because it's eight. (laughs) I was so close. Six is just two away from eight. I was so close. You are not. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that scene in The Mighty Ducks where Emilio Estevez says, like, if I had hit it an eighth of an inch one way, it would have gone in. The other kid's like, if you had hit it an eighth of the inch the other way, it would have gone wildly out. So you're not terribly wrong. This has been the most fun I've ever had doing Happy Beeps. <laughs> Glad I could help. All right. Well, since we've talked about all should, the things, should, to- should we move on? Yeah, I think it's. I'm gonna I think start, it's like time. quadratic equation. Some of these things out. All right, guys. I don't even have a good segue for this. We're gonna take a quick break and come back and talk about Finn. Finn. Yeah. Finn. I like that. I like that. I don't know your name. Finn, it's yours. I'm right. Finn is Ray. Finn. I'm not who you think I am. Finn, what are you talking about? Ray, where's Ray? I'm just here to get Ray. That means Finn. It's time to find Ray. Try to find Ray. The troopers. Finn, what are you doing here? Ray! Ray! Ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we are talking about Finn and this is going to be an interesting conversation because before we got on the call, we were talking about how it was kind of hard to decide on the moments to put on this list and not in a way that I think most of us would have expected, or at least I would have expected. I expected to come up with my list quite easily. And every, for first like few days I was thinking about it, everything I came up with, I was like, but I know there's other stuff that I like more, or there, I know there's other stuff that I like less. So mm. it was, it was kind of an interesting um, exploration into my own you know, analysis on Finn and my feelings on him as a character going through this list. So I'm excited to kind of see where you guys come down and, and Mark, especially you and you and I, I, I'm wondering if we're going to have a couple that are uh, at least adjacent to each other. So to start it off, uh, if you, if you're new here, um, well, welcome, first of all, uh, but the way our top you made three it past all that math, I'm so <laughs> yeah. proud of you. Yes, all two, all two of you, or if you're Mark, all one of you. Oh, that that really cold in here. That hurts. <laughs> oh, um, love you, Mark. So the way our top three, bottom three works is our bottom three is three things that we don't like or um, think doesn't work well for the story. Uh, or would change, and then our top three is your traditional uh, best of list. So 
We like to start out with the bottom because that tends to provide a little bit more of the conversation, and then we get to end on a nice high note. So, Mark, I'm interested to hear your bottom number three. Yeah, so you mentioned that we had had this conversation that the list, well, I think I introduced it because I was basically saying, hey, I don't know exactly how effusive I can be about Finn because I had trouble pinpointing specific moments that I could embellish with a lot of discussion. Um, And thankfully, I wasn't alone. And you guys pretty much said, hey, we kind of felt the same way. Um, I think one of the reasons why I personally have trouble pinpointing things about him, uh, the character, is that there's so much of Finn that's wrapped up in who John Boyega is as as an actor that a lot of the things I like are things that are like the choices that he makes as an actor. And that's not necessarily related to like generally how we put these lists together. We tend to choose character beats or scenes that, you know, may or may not work. Um, And a lot of my list is just had to do with the way he was featured as an actor in the film. Um, So anyway, I, that was my challenge and, but I was able to come up with some very specific moments. Um, uh, so choosing, it was kind of hard to choose the bottom three because he's such, uh, he's a fun character to watch. Um, and I think maybe my, the things that I have issues with tend to be more about how he's utilized or not utilized versus things I feel like were not, maybe not great for the character. Uh, also, he's tied into char- other characters so much that it's kind of difficult to talk about Finn without talking about other characters. And so number th- three on my list would fall into that category. And that's Finn and Phasma. Like my third wow. bottom list item is that, and this is probably has more to do with Phasma being built up prior to The Force Awakens, but I felt like there was a lot, lot more that could have been done with their dynamic um, than was actually done. And we could go off on a tangent about how Phasma was underutilized or maybe Phasma was uh, hyped up. Um, But I just saw it as a missed opportunity to have Finn's, uh, have his struggle be about his past with the First Order and trying to separate himself from what they represent. And she would have been a great opportunity. She would have been a good foil for that. And also, there was a, there was a personal grudge that they could have had or it could have been developed better um, that I didn't feel like was utilized to its potential. Um, so... I feel like more in the first film, this is the case. In in The Last Jedi, they do have their moment where they face off against each other. Uh, But even that has, 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 I have mixed feelings about it because there is that deleted scene that I actually, in my opinion, and I know others probably disagree, but I feel like the deleted scene where Finn confronts Phasma uh, should have been in the film. So seeing how it could have been caused me to feel like 
what we got was maybe just a little bit less than what it could have been. Mm. I think with Finn and Phasma, like there was an opportunity there to like dig into the psychology of those two characters and really Finn in particular, you know, um, there's a lot of conversation around Kylo Ren and how his upbringing uh, with uh, Han and Leia, you know, affected him eventually becoming Kylo Ren. And I think you have a nice flip of that with Finn, of somebody who was raised, you know, in a terrible situation who is then choosing to do the good thing. Um, and I know you have that with Ray as well, but just to, to have Finn there, I think in the force awakens and last Jedi in particular, we'll get into kind of how they miss this mark in rise of Skywalker, but to just have the, you know, the every man who was raised in a terrible situation and just starts to do what's right, you know, like Finn, while he is like a forefront character, he's not really the one who, you know, he doesn't blow up the Death Star. He doesn't blow up Starkiller Base. He's not doing those those big gigantic things, but he does the little things for the people that he cares about, you know, um, and he's always there for them. And so to kind of dig into how somebody who has that heart in them also deals with that trauma that they went through, I think, yeah, was a... And especially if you consider Phasma's character in the book. Like, there, there's a lot of opportunity there that was just left on the table um, with these characters. It's, it's, it's one of those things you can kind of, like, always wonder about but never really say, like, oh, man, we, could, we should have had this. Yeah, it's like, so Phasma's identity from the books is she identified, like, her identity is through the mask. Like, that's that's her identity. Like you, you're never supposed to see the person underneath when it comes to Phasma. She doesn't want you to see the person underneath. And Finn did the opposite of that. Like Finn literally took off the helmet and that kind of went against everything that, that Faz that sort of motivated Phasma. So there was, there could have been that personal, you know, grudge aspect to their relationship that could have been developed better. Remember me? FN2187. Not anymore. The name's Finn, and I'm in charge. I'm in charge now, Phasma. I'm in charge. So, Drew, go ahead and uh, give us your number three. Okay. And this one, Mark is absolutely right that this was very tough to come up with. Um, and we'll probably dive into why, probably when we get to the top three, I think. Um, but my bottom number three is how Finn is given the majority of the cliche and out of time kind of lines. Um, for example, in force awakens, when he asks Ray, if she has a boyfriend, cute boyfriend, that line stood out. Um, when he calls phasma Chrome dome, um, when he refers to the things Poe learned on the streets as shady, there's nothing inherently wrong with the lines and they're, they're, they're acted just fine, but, no one else in the film seemed to be delivered lines of that same kind of quality. Like everybody else gets to act and read lines that sound like they belong in a Star Wars universe. But there's so many more of these things that feel more like from our universe than anywhere else. You know, he yells, come on at Phasma as he's backing away from her. Like 
he's challenging her to bring it to him in the last Jedi to like really come at him while he's on the retreat. And it stands out as very strange and odd. Um, he pleads with BB-8 in The Force Awakens. He says, Droid, please. It's like, mm, these are not lines. This is not conversation from the Star Wars universe that I would have expected. And I can't really understand why. There's something in those readings that, you know, those American colloquialisms that stand out as not really belonging to the galaxy far, far away. And, and it's, it's like we talked about earlier about things that kind of take you out of the moment. Like, like we were talking about moments in rise of Skywalker where the magic kind of evaporates. And I feel like a lot of Finn's lines that are like this have that effect. Like they stand out for that reason where they kind of take us out of the film and say, Oh, when was the last time I heard somebody say the word boyfriend in a Star Wars movie? Oh, right. It's Owen Lars from the prequels. So this is my girlfriend, Baru. It's like, okay, guys, come on. And it's kind of maybe it's a callback to some of those kind of things that just kind of stood out and say these don't really belong. That's well, why number three is kind of the odd lines that they give him. And I think the the sequel trilogy kind of has a, a thing with that. Like one thing I noticed is like Poe curses a lot. It, like, I caught that on my last viewing of Rise of Skywalker. He says, like, damn and ass and stuff. Like, I think he has, like, five five curse words in Rise of Skywalker or something like that. It's And it's not something that you expect. And and I, I think with Finn, yeah, I think you're on to something there that, like, it's missing. It, it doesn't feel natural. It's like, as much as I love Luke dusting off his shoulder in Last Jedi, it still doesn't feel like something that should be in a star wars movie and i go back to that like this would be like the number four on my list if you will but that moment at maz's castle when poe is you know flying around and he goes that's one hell of a pilot it just doesn't feel organic it doesn't feel like like somebody would stop in the middle of a battle while they're getting shot at to scream about how great a pilot is <laughs> you know, I don't know about that. I mean, Luke does that kind of on the above the uh, Death Star. Yeah, in four, he says, just like Beggars Canyon back home. It's like, all right, look, I know you're in a movie, but you don't have to know you're in a movie too, okay? Yeah, it's weird. I, I wonder, like, why? Where does that come from? Like, that's it's it's it exists first in the screenplay and the writing, so we know it starts there. But like, J.J. Abrams films, I think you know. Seven and nine, I think, are much more guilty of this than than um, than Ryan Johnson's in the Last Jedi. I don't feel like a lot of these come from the Last Jedi. Now, I know I just said the whole Phasma fight, you know, is like that, but when it happens, it almost always seems to happen to Finn. Uh, um, I, I can't understand why they couldn't figure out, and, and well, maybe they're happy with the way he's written. Maybe the creators are happy with the the the, the lines that he gets, and that's fine, but. I don't understand how it always falls on one character that they don't know how to write unless they're not sure what that character sounds like. Um, yeah, I think that's probably more to do with what's going on is that they, they hadn't quite decided what his voice was going to be. Right. You know, is he going to be the comic relief? Um, and when you have somebody, it's probably a combination of things and one of them being... When you have someone as talented as John Boyega, and he has such a range, he can play comedy. He has great comic timing. 
but he can also do very serious scenes. And so I think they just didn't. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't step up as writers to give the actor what he really needed. Also, it's weird because there. Go ahead. There are moments where there are moments when it works too, like when they're on Starkiller base and the moment where Finn and Han are kind of bickering back and forth, and and Han's trying to get him to turn around, and and, and Finn is Finn is like, "What are you doing? What what, what are you doing with your head? Why why are you keeping that? I'm trying to come up with plans. Like, what are you doing?" It's so perfect. That's a good moment. moment. Yes. Like, that's a good moment. But I feel like, again, the issue there is the the literal words. Like, the words he uses all make sense in context. Like, there's nothing that takes me out of the moment. Like, if if Finn had said, why are you acting like a bobblehead? That would have taken me out. But he he didn't do that. He says, why do you keep doing that with your head? Why do you keep, you know... And it's more physical. So I wonder if maybe that when they rely more on his physicality, it, it functions better. But when they rely on the words on the paper, it just it doesn't match. But like, how do you guys feel about the moment when he says, we'll do you guys like out. that moment or not? We'll use the force. Uh, That's not how the force works. Uh, oh, really? You're cold? Uh, Come on. Yeah, my side would, in, would indicate I don't love it. Um, <laughs> I love it, but also know how like ridiculous and not necessary for the film it is. Like right. it, it's, it's fun to just say that's not how the force works. Yeah, it's a great quotable yeah. moment, and I've had more fun quoting it than I have watched having fun watching it. Because yeah, okay, this and and we'll have a lot of opportunity to get into this more <laughs> in depth later. But when you were talking about like JJ is a storyteller. He tell the way he writes. He writes not for the characters. He writes for the audience. And oh, he, so true. Is his films are peppered with all these little moments that are meant to be wink winks at the audience, instead of having to be like being organically funny because of what's happening between the characters. Mm, basically, all of Star Trek Beyond Darkness, right there. Yes. Oh, oh, we could really talk a long time about Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> no, because then I'd have to watch it again, and I'm not sure <laughs> I can do that. I've already made, it, made him watch Attack of the Clones. Don't do that to him. Oh, in, into Darkness? What's the second one? Is it second one of Into Darkness or Beyond? Into Darkness. Or? Yes, What's into the third darkness. one called? Star Trek Beyond. Okay, so I just conflated the two together because they're both that good. Well, the third one's not terrible. Oh, no. It, oh, it's not? They just saved the world by using the Beastie Boys music? Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. I said not terrible. <laughs> it's not as bad. Well, yes. no, I don't. I do not like the third one at all. Anyway, Brandon, what's your number three? Well, my number three is going back to another conversation we had earlier in the week about are we allowed to pull in things from outside of the movies? Because... This is one that has bugged me for ages, and Uh it is from Before the Awakening. So if you haven't read Before the Awakening, it is a a journey to the Force uh, Force Awakens book that came out after The Force Awakens. Um, It's part of that black and red Young Readers series, and it's got a a story from Finn, Rey, and Poe all about what happened to them right before The Force Awakens. And Finn's section in this book is very similar to the Clone Wars arc with 99, except 
without like 99 himself uh finn and his comrades are going into training for their first mission which is eventually going to be what we see at the beginning of force awakens and we start to see finn's apprehension uh about how the first order is doing things and all of that is really really good the issue that i have is that it doesn't line up with what we see of finn in the movie because in the book He's a top-level trooper. He's considered one of the troopers with the most potential. Yet in the film, he's presented as, as like a chump. He's nobody special. Phasma and Hux in, in that scene where you see kind of like the baby picture of him, they, they act like they've never even heard of him, even though Finn is recognized, you know, he's recognized by her in the book. Like they have direct interaction um, in the book. So... The reason that this one has to make my list, um, and, and this is something that I think is going to keep coming up, is because the canon in the sequels is really shaky. Um, the characterizations in the books don't match, or they're mischaracterizations of the characters on the screen, or they send them backwards. It's just, it's that lack of planning, and yes, everybody can play in the in the sandbox, but we need to make sure that we have a cohesive narrative and i think i think finn in the books and the movies doesn't necessarily do that i think resistance reborn um is an example of how to do that effectively and this is something coming out of the gate you know they were saying oh you know it's all one story um you know we're, we're gonna have the books line up with the movies and things like that and this was my first big disappointment because it was so early in the process like it's not like you've had years of of books to where you're like oh man i forgot that one thing there like oh well it's out there now it's like you had one movie to line this up with and you didn't line it up with it 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 really made me nervous about the new canon and that would be a trend that continued on through other entries as well like other books suffer from the same kind of problem too. Yeah, some of them not till years later. Like I, I, I saw somebody online uh, remarked about the aftermath books, um, how in in one of them it talks about Leia first learning certain like Jedi breathing techniques from Luke and how she could never really catch on to using the Force the way Luke would learn how to do. Well, that didn't last very. That didn't uh, go very well in the future, did it? Like, well, it turns out she went through an entire training and 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 is just as powerful as anybody else so it's like these kind of things yeah, man they, they sold us a lot when they said all this stuff was going to work into one single cohesive story wasn't it bloodline that that suggested or told us that leia had chosen not to train as a jedi yeah and she had chosen like, public public service yeah oops maybe from a certain point of view but I don't yeah know. yeah all right, let's go on to our number two, and Mark, that sends it back to you. All right, well, this is yet another one where I'm pairing him up with somebody to talk about something that didn't work for me. Um, and I I really I don't want to say this because it, I, there's been so much <laughs> discussion about the last Jedi and what works and what doesn't work. And there's been so much toxicity around certain characters. And one of the, here we go. Here we go. One one of the characters that's, that has been caused such an uproar has been Rose. 
And I like Rose. I like her in the film. I like Kelly Marie Tran's performances. I think she does a great job. I just don't feel the chemistry between her and Finn. Um, maybe not to the degree that the movie wants me to feel it. Or maybe it's just that I was more impatient during their scenes to get on to other scenes. But there are a lot of scenes where Finn and Rose are together that I just find myself like drifting off. Like my attention, <laughs> my attention just kind of floats away. Um, and I'm not quite sure why that is. And I think it just comes down to their particular plot was just not as interesting to me. Uh, mm. They as characters are great. Like I understand, like I love the fact that, well, it is, has only been the course, the course of a few days, but she's already heard about Finn. She knows about Finn and she, she's starstruck when she meets him. Actually, he's only been with the resistance for a few days, but that's, you know, she's obviously heard great things about him. So she's very excited to meet him. Um, the scene where, you know, they, they, they meet for, for the first time. He's actually trying to leave the ship. And she's, you know, she's been stunning people who've been trying to defect, uh, you know, all morning. That There's a comic element to that that just doesn't quite work for me. The, the he can't feel his teeth. That's one of the, the scenes where I feel like I the, com- the, about that part. The, the comic aspect is just not really strong but then then again we've discussed this in the past the comic elements in the last jedi i for some of us don't work for some of us they do but for some of us they don't work um and again that's i don't think that's the fault of the actors and i think it really just comes down to the writing but um yeah i just feel like and i understand the reasoning behind it because in your first act you introduce all the characters. And then in your second act, just like they did with The Empire Strikes Back, you want to separate them. You want to put them put them in different places and have them deal with different obstacles um, and setbacks and then have them come together in the final film. But I just felt like, you know, Finn and Poe had such great chemistry and with such little screen time together that if you're going to put him with somebody for the majority of the film the chemistry should just be off the charts. And I felt like he had that with all the characters he interacted with in the first film. I just didn't feel it in the second film. And so I don't know whether my complaint is about Finn or about Rose or about both. I I think it's about the situation. Um, I I don't think, I think it's, it's not the Canto bite section while it's fun it feels more of like an off week of clone wars than it does the middle act of of a star wars trilogy um it feels like a completely different film yeah yeah and and just the the costume design i don't think uh, is exactly what we're used to which i think is something they were going for um, so credit to them for, for taking the risk there, but I just don't think it panned out. Um, the, the comedy, like the whole BB-8 shooting the coins and that's what gets the police to fall down. Like, you know, it's Tom and Jerry or something like that. Um, I don't think works. So I, I don't think it's them. I think it's the situation. And then, and then to basically have it all be for not, 
Um, and and just to have it all be so that DJ can be sitting there to hear them talk about what they're doing with the fleet so he can betray them later. It's just, it's kind of like, couldn't you have found another way to do this and, and give these characters a more interesting angle? And then to, to close it out, I think having that that kiss at the end that I, I don't feel like there was a lot of build up to that. Like I got the friendship, but I never got the like romantic um, Finn Rose kind of thing uh, vibe. And so then you're supposed to, I feel like you're supposed to have this, you know, emotional attachment when he's, you know, tucking her in, in the Falcon, you know, after she's, and, and I just don't feel like that, that it's there because a lot of it is the situation that you put the characters in. You know, like one of the reasons that Luke facing Vader in Empire Strikes Back is so powerful is because you were just in that room with a whole bunch of a bunch of people. So you feel how empty that room is, you know. Um, oh, interesting. So I think the situation has a big impact on on how we view the characters in that instance. My number two is closely tied to this because I feel like the way in which the whole Canto bite escapade is structured, it doesn't feel as tug of war between the two, um, between the two, the decision that, that Finn has to make between whether he's going to associate with Rose's idealism or if he's going to associate with DJ's practicalism. It, it's never a hard choice for him. It never seems to be a struggle for him to go through. My 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 number two is that that lack of equal temptation, and here's what I mean: like DJ offers, you know, good guys, bad guys. It's all a machine, partner. Like it's it's pretty clearly laid out there, and I feel like it's a very uh, open, honest attempt. But I don't feel like he m- offers much more than that to Finn f- for the rest of the time they're on screen together because he's he's working with them. Now, on the opposite side of that, I feel like Rose has such high expectations for him. Like, she is 100% gung-ho on everything that she does, according to the information that the film provides us. And this is why I think, you know, the kiss at the end of the Battle of Crate is so awkward, is because she has gone 100 miles an hour down this relationship with that Finn, but he has not gone at that same speed at all. He's not even still bought into her worldview of, uh, saving the things you love versus fighting the things that you hate. Like he's not there yet, and she has, she's really pushing him down that road unfairly. Uh, when you compare it to how loose DJ's influence really is on Finn as well, like the difference between those two characters and what they are offering Finn feels so much more heavily weighted to one than the other that it's not even a fair comparison. Like. If you look at Ray's options, she's got Luke, the father figure that she never had, versus Ben, the family that she's always wanted. Like they're very equally powerful, pulling forces in different directions, and that's what makes that struggle so interesting. Is because you could see her going in either direction, and there be val- validation in either way. We don't get that with Finn. Like it feels like a missed opportunity. There's there's not a struggle. He just kind of bounces through things. Um, and I, I think that's car- kind of the issue there is how unequal those relationships are established. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if they they think from a writing point of view that 
presenting him with the options is what builds the tension. And it that's not what builds the tension. The tension right. should come from, like you said, temptation. It should be it should be he's being pulled in two different directions. And I'd like to play play off of what you just said by mentioning that, you know, the whole sequel trilogy never really truly deals with Finn's feelings of what happened to him as a child. Like it yes. really it really glosses over the fact that he had been brainwashed. And I understand like for the sake of the plot moving forward, they just kind of wanted to get it like he's he's had his moment where he's awakened and he's has that moment with Ray, which I'll talk about later, where on Takadana where he tells her he's that's not who he is anymore. But he was a first order trooper and he is fighting the first order. He had he, friends. He had yes. companions. Like we, 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 the reason he turns is because he picks up the body of another stormtrooper that ostensibly he grew up with and understands the toll of what they're doing is horrendous and is not worth it. But then 30 minutes later, he's gunning down other stormtroopers like, dude, these were your it's, it's kind of like the problem in Rise of Skywalker, where the film goes out of its way to humanize the stormtroopers with Janna's whole crew. We all rose up. We all uh, abandoned the the mission we were on and we ran away and, and, you know, defected from the First Order. And then they go and mow down more guys. It's like, like you just told us they were human. You just made us feel for them. And now you're going to blow that goodwill. Come on. Yeah, the, well... For me, the center of what his story should have been in The Rise of Skywalker was leading an uprising from the from within the First Order or, you know, being the the spark that encouraged others within the First Order to that rebel. Would have been pretty com- yeah, that could have been pretty dang compelling. Yeah. Well, and Mark, you mentioned, you know, it not dealing with Finn's feelings about you know, being a first order trooper, I don't think it deals with his feelings at all. Like, I don't think the sequel trilogy really digs into his feelings in any meaningful way. Um, like, yes, well, there's the did, change of him becoming a leader, but his, his real, his, not, his that's character. not a feeling though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like his character, um, and, and where he's invested never really shifts. Well, the focus is so laser focused on Ray for the first two films. And that's another issue I have is that we had two films where his arc plays out over two films and really where he is at the end of The Last Jedi should have should have been his arc at the end of The Force Awakens. Like uh, we, I don't know about that, but I, I uh, maybe that's just my preference for I, I wish it would have been concluded quicker so that we could have moved on to having him play a larger role within you know the 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 influencing people within the first order that's a fair point if you're trying to get him to that destination then the road looks a little bit different yeah i can see that i love the way that the the last jedi takes all three of those main characters through their own particular journeys and puts them at particular places at the end of the film because it perfectly sets them up for the rise of Skywalker to be everyone is in the role that they need to be, and now they can move forward. Like it's what empowers them to do that final act in in totally defeating the first order and saving the galaxy once and for all. Like I feel like 
the last Jedi did a really good job of taking the Force Awakens, boiling it down, putting their characters through a funnel, and having them set up to go right to the end of the story. And then Rise of Skywalker was like, we're going to do something totally different now. Yeah. I'm Speaking of that, let's go into my number two, which this is a, a theme of my list, is kind of how unclear Finn's story is. Um, I talked about Man. before... Uh-huh. How the, the, the books and the movies don't line up? Well, for this one, I'm saying that the movies and the movies don't line up. Because I think having, <laughs> having Finn have the Force is almost as ridiculous as Palpatine just popping up with no explanation. There is nothing oh, in no, the... No, come on. Well, I can't... Yeah, I disagree with that. Okay, well, here... then Defend thyself. Yeah, I, yes, I'm going to say change my mind. There, I just don't think it aligns with the other stories. And talking with Lindsay about this, because she, of course, loves this movie, and so I try to, like, pick her brain about, you know, how the, what it is that, that connects with her to try to see, you know, and make me like this movie uh, more. She views Finn as having the Force as a reminder that anyone can be Force-sensitive, anybody can be a hero. Cool. I love that. The issue I have is that if you had it with Ray and then at the last minute you went another direction, so then you you change the story of one of your main protagonists just so you can be more shocking than the previous film, so then you have to reconstruct the narrative of the other characters to have these archetypes that you want to have in the in the Star Wars films and you fumble on Finn because now he's a stand-in for what Ray used to be. Um, and, and honestly, I just don't think him having the Force has any real purpose in the narrative. Um, I, I think that I haven't told you thing never gets fulfilled and is very unsatisfying. I think he has a connection with Janna, and they don't need to both have the Force for that. And I think even the Ray dying scene, I think it would have been totally believable to have that moment be exactly the same because of the connection that they both have. Um, I, I don't think anybody would have blinked an eye because of how close they've been and how they're for for both of them, they're the pers- the first person that's ever cared about them. So I guess in conclusion... I don't have a problem with Finn having the Force. I'm all for that. Sweet. Let's do it. But let's do it in TFA. Let's do it in TLJ. Let's actually line up our stories with each other. Well, I would argue that they did it in TFA. Because I always, from the very beginning, I always read the scene in the Jakku village of him suddenly being affected by it was like a switch went off in Finn it's like he was awakened uh, he <laughs> he and ray both had a very similar awakening and i always believed from the beginning that finn was force sensitive and i was surprised i will give you that they don't really explore that at all in the last jedi so i was surprised that that didn't come up again but I was that was one of the things I was actually happy about in The Rise of Skywalker was that they finally got back around to presenting that because I always read that first scene as being he's being 
he's being awakened by the force. He's force sensitive, and Kylo Ren senses it. They have that. They have that oh, moment that where they exchange looks across, you know, the village. Kylo sensed it, but again, the story should have done more to develop that. Um, but that that's why I feel like the the fact that he's presented as force sensitive for me still works. It's consistent with what I've already been shown. I just wish that it had been developed more and I wish that it would have been developed further. Um, and I have issues with his force sensitivity and the rise of Skywalker, but for completely different reasons, which we'll go into. <laughs> I, I didn't have any problem with his force sensitivity being almost explicit. Like, but I, I think the reason that I don't mind is because I deal with it in a lot less severe uh, consequence. Like the sequel trilogy has gone out of its way to tell us that there are people who can be sensitive to the movement of the force without being full blown, you know, Jedi superheroes. Maz Kanata has some kind of sensitivity to it. Lor Santeca has a greater appreciation and worship thereof as well. So there's precedent for characters who have experienced the force without being, you know, temple bound mon monastic tradition kind of people. Um, I think the reason for the, the way I understood the re rise of Skywalker's application of Finn's force sensitivity has more to do with his, his connecting to Ray in a special way that I'll, I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, cause it's actually one of the things I kind of appreciated was that he has a special bond with her, not just from their shared experiences, but also from their inherent, uh, personalities. Like the way that they are individually is something that they share. But again, we'll talk about that later. Where are we in the numbering? Was that your number two, Brandon? That was my number two. Yeah. Song? So we're on our number ones, Mark, back to you. The thing that bothers you the most. Well, and it works out that it's what we've just been talking about. Um, it's for different reasons. Um, the, the the way that his force sensitivity is addressed in The Rise of Skywalker is problematic for me because it's presented, and this is a problem I have with J.J. Abrams as a storyteller. He, like I said earlier, he writes for the audience and not the characters. There are all these moments where Finn is is he's he's got something he wants to tell Ray. They think they're going to die. He wants to confess something, and it's played as this mystery, this narrative mystery. Like, what is it? What is it he's going to tell her? What is he going to tell her? And he never tells her. The reason why that's not important to J.J. Abrams is because it was never about Ray and Finn having that moment. It was about J.J. wanting the audience to know there was something special about Finn. And that's my problem with J.J. Abrams as a storyteller is that he's always writing from the perspective of the fans are going to love this part rather than this was this is what works for these characters. He's telling his story for the audience and not for what he's established in universe. Um, we were talking about the colloquialisms, like the way people speak. All of that again. There's there's all these little moments in The Force Awakens, and I like I love the movie, but the parts that I don't like about The Force Awakens are the ones that pull me out of out of the moment and that feel more about Star Wars as a pop culture 
phenomenon and when it becomes self-aware of itself and it's making inside jokes that have more to do with fandom than the story itself that's where i have an issue with and that's how he that's how abrams tells stories as a star wars fan because he really is he's just it's just fan service um so that that was my number one because the execution of that that could have been a very fascinating story to explore. And if you're going to have Ray revealed as having a lineage, you, surely her best friend, who is Finn, they could have a moment together where Finn reveals to her that he's Force-sensitive and he can say, well, you know, before you found this out, you were a nobody. Well, I was a nobody. What matters is that we're that we're both connected through the force. That's what matters, not who your, you know, who your grandfather was or where I came from. Like we were both, we both came from nothing. Turns out, you know, your grandfather is the devil, but it doesn't matter because we're connected through the force. I, you know, I just, it baffles me why you establish such a wonderful rapport with the characters in the force awakens. And then you have an opportunity to bring them back together in the third film, and you you just don't give them a moment like that. I just I don't understand it. Mm. I got think, a point. I think it it goes to what you were saying, like him writing for the audience. Um, I, I I really think that, and I think it was pretty clear in the Variety uh, interview with Chris Terrio that came out that they wrote this film with the mentality of how can we shock and awe people instead of how can we tell a tight, cohesive narrative story. Um, And and I think that, yeah, having him always teasing that he has something to tell and then also making it a joke between him and Poe, I think takes some of the weight away from it also to where... Now you're like, okay, but he's not taking it so seriously, so why should I take it seriously? You know, if him and Poe are able to just joke about it um, in in a near-death situation, and while it is a funny moment for them to do that, it takes away the weight of, you know, this is a, a conversation that I need to have with my best friend, you know, the first person to see value in me in my life other than as basically a... a faceless target um maybe maybe that it's the execution of it to go back to my number two that i that i don't like about it as much because i do like mark your interpretation of that beginning scene of force awakens and, and there was so much potential set up for them and then played on in the last jedi and while i do love finn and poe and i'm going to get into that actually pretty soon here there's not a lot of Finn and Ray stuff going on in in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Drew, I think that sends it to you for your number one. Okay. This is a lot less. This is more 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 picky and and, and more specific. I can't stand the first time that they go to Canto Bite and Finn just has his arms spread open. He goes. He literally goes. Wow! Look at all this cool stuff. That's oh yeah. It. That like. <laughs> that three second like eyes wide kind of like 
this is amazing. Gambling is so cool. It's like that moment's like, all right, let's let's take a an, uh, let's try another take and uh, see what we can do. Maybe tone it down a smidge. I don't know. That moment just always bothers me. It's like, okay, this was like a first draft kind of like we we did it in rehearsal once, then we did it on the stage once, and then somebody had to go right away, so we couldn't do it again. I, that moment just bothers me. That's it. I know that's picky. It's it's stupid. And is not nearly as important as the other things, but man, every time I see it, I'm like, stop it! Just stop it! No, that's totally <laughs> fair because, like, there's that, you know, moment that was cut b- with uh, Luke and Ray where Ray runs into the uh, celebration that they're having on Octo and, oh, yeah. and they have that conversation that I feel like definitely should have been in the movie. So whenever I'm like looking at the scenes I don't like, I'm like, that's like how long and how long is the other scene? We definitely could have like just cut this part out and fit that in there. <laughs> this is is definitely part of it. This and the um the the part where you, of of the uh Fadier's chase where you can just tell that they're on a green screen. Like it it just doesn't it all Oh, I, there's there's nothing about that sequence that I like. Um <laughs> it's just not good. I like uh, the music. The music I'll is really I like good. I, I, I can't even think of what it is. That's how, it, like, I, I think that the, the, this moment of the googly eyes is kind of emblematic to me. Is the real thing of just like, I, it's just not good. Um, I, I don't have a lot that I can really isolate and say this is where it turns left to right where we shouldn't have or, you know, we could have done this slightly different or it's it doesn't meet my expectations. But it's like, guys, this is it, it's just not well done we could do this one again it's okay we can do it again and i and i can't understand like it keeps happening to finn like in these in in these examples like ray's character doesn't suffer from these things kylo ren's character doesn't suffer from these things poe doesn't suffer from these like no one else suffers to the degree that that finn's characters does and it seems in every single film it's these moments of like what is what were they deciding on when they said this is what we want to have on the screen like it, it, there's something that's missing overall, and this is like the moment that I'm thinking of here—the the eyes wide open kind of thing. It's just like, who in the editing room like was absent the day that this this take was inserted? Because I don't think it fits with anything else in the rest of the like the the trilogy here. It just doesn't work, and I, there's not much more I can say about it other than like they were okay with this, and I and I can't understand why. That's totally fair. Totally fair. My number. I mean, I hate that it's so, I hate that it's something so small. Sorry, I, I know no, no. I said I have nothing else to say, but like, it's so small and it's so easy. It's just kind of like, like the moment where, where Laura Dern's character, you know, bursts through the, the cloud of smoke and she's firing the gun, but the actress is saying pew pew pew. We couldn't have <laughs> taken one more try and say, okay, Laura, you're a great actress. You're gonna win an Academy Award one day. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Don't make the sound effects that the gun makes, please. I don't know. I I, I like right. that moment. Brand- <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> you don't like the, the the lightsaber toss though at the beginning of the film. So you and I just see this film two totally different ways. That's fair. All right. Which number one? My number one. I'm calling this one missed opportunity. And yes, I'm purposely uh, purposefully alluding to Mark Hamill's infamous tweet uh, where he said hashtag missed opportunity because I think this is the real missed opportunity of the sequel trilogy, um, and it's Finpo. Uh, it's Stormpilot. 
whatever uh, combination you want to put on uh, that relationship. And I think, like, even if we take the whole diversity and inclusion conversation out of it for a moment, I know it's an important aspect of, of all of this. Um, and, and I did want it definitely for that purpose. But if we just look narratively at the story, I think literally everything in TFA and TLJ points towards it. Uh, you have Poe biting his lip when he sees Finn in his jacket. Finn puts his hand on Poe's <laughs> stomach when the force when the when the first order blows up the hangar. He like grabs him on the stomach um, as Finn's laying there, or excuse me, as uh, Poe's laying there. Poe immediately becomes jealous of Rose. Uh, Poe and Finn immediately like understand each other on a deep level. Um, you can even add in stuff like like you know, the necklace that Poe is wearing uh, with his mom's ring on it. And and the visual dictionary says he's looking for the right partner. Again, like, there's important conversations to have about the representation uh, aspect of it. And Adriana did a phenomenal job of that on, on Starships. And, and we're going to do more of that through our diversity series. But I think just purely narratively, I I, I just don't, see them as just bros and and i hate i feel bad bashing on rise of skywalker the whole time but it just it feels like something from a different trilogy where these two had this relationship that was blooming and felt like something was on the horizon and then you literally just have them being bros in rise of skywalker yeah it doesn't feel it it feels Two, it, it feels two ways. It feels, one, like they were like, oh, that's never the direction we were going. We're Disney. We can't do that. So we're going to go back over here, and we're going to make sure it's very clear to everybody. Oh, and it also feels like they they had this original intention, but then just, again, with Rise of Skywalker, wanted to do something different at the last minute which it feels like they did for, for just about every character. And again, I like, I, I like Rise of Skywalker a lot in isolation, but I think if we're looking at this as like a whole narrative, particularly this trilogy, I think Finn and Poe being in a relationship, just it, it just makes sense for the narrative. Yeah, there was, a, there was a momentum being built up through not just the movies, but all the ancillary materials the books yeah. um my gosh the 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 resistance book i'm sorry uh, I'm resistance reborn. the name the tie resistance scene. reborn the tie scene there's no way that you could tell me that 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 was not written from the perspective that this is a couple like <laughs> men just like Come on, two men uh, tying a tie is a very personal thing, and it's just meant to communicate that there's a you know they have a connection. It's a certain kind of connection, and and I've never bit yeah. my lip while you know for one of my bros <laughs> or like grabbed him on the stomach. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just it's right there on the screen. Yeah, there's a scene yeah. where they're where they're where Ray has lifted all the boulders to let them emerge from that cave and crate. And if you look very closely as, as Poe, is it Poe that does it or is it Finn? I think it's 
Poe. I think it's Poe. I know what you're talking about. Runs his hand down Finn's arm <laughs> slowly. And and out of camera, and you can just imagine that he just grabs his hand. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a it's a simple choice, yet the actors were clearly on board with it. They were Absolutely. so clearly on board with it. And Oscar Isaac, when he was asked, like, is this, hey, this this is some fans see it this way. Like, is this something that's going to happen? And he says, well, I know I certainly played it that way. Yeah. Like, so uh, I, I completely. With the jacket, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like wearing your boyfriend's hoodie. Like, it's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also, like, if we do go into that like, conversation about, you know, the actors being willing to do it, well, I think Hollywood definitely is a lot different than it was, you know, even 20 years ago when the prequels came out. And I think you have a lot more men who would be willing to do that. I also think there's a lot that wouldn't. And so if you have this opportunity where you have these two high-profile uh men who are are willing to portray that role and you've already built it up in the narrative and then you don't like all you had all the pieces in place and and you just you you just dropped it i think what what burns what burns me the most about it as a gay man is that they I mean, I, I most certainly want to see representation on screen, but if you're not going to give that to me, the least you can do is keep it ambiguous. And the Rise of Skywalker goes out of its way to put them in the bro zone. Mm-hmm. And that is what kind of hurts me because they could have just said, hey, the fan, there are fans that are having fun with this. And we've certainly been writing these characters as if this is this is where it's headed. If JJ didn't want to do that, that's fine. That's his prerogative, but he could have at least respected the fact that this is where it's all been heading and let's just leave it ambiguous. Yeah. And yet they it, didn't have to add, they didn't have to add a brand new character specifically to reinforce mm-hmm. the heterosexual. Right. It, it felt really kind of like they were going out of their way to establish this. And I think that again, I'm, you know, I I've been, I, I don't know if I'm sound like I'm a JJ basher, but I really am not. But I really do put that on JJ because I do feel like he had the creative control and he was holding the reins and it really does come down to him making that decision. Mm. And I, I think like that is one thing that I, I think he should have to carry. Like that's a, a cross he should have. That's not the right phrase for it, but like that's, a, a, <laughs> I, I was like, no, wait, hold on a minute. Um, but, th- but that is something that like, that's on his plate. You know, because I think the other decisions that maybe we disagree with, you know, him making, he was the storyteller that's fine, you know, tell that story that you want to tell. But there was no need for the way and the clear way that you told Finn and Poe's story in Rise of Skywalker to be against just the representation aspect of it um and you know like you mentioned bringing in a character just to have her show that you know poe is not into finn it's just it's 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 either one of two things it's either being against it 
actively, which is a problem, or being so aloof to it that you just needed a role for a friend of yours to fit into a Star Wars movie, and so you made this role and sacrificed two of your main characters for it. Uh, that, there's yeah. other. I think there's other potential influences. It's, it's not just one or the other for that, but those are certainly two potential opportunities for why. Not, neither of them good. And there are other, other reasons, but I think there are other bad reasons too. But like you had said before, like it's a question of creative control. Who, who gets to make those final decisions and who gets to push them through? And I think what you, what you can say is that either he had it in there and it got shut down or he never had it in there at all for this for the third film. I mean, I think it's a, honestly, I think it's a, it was a market decision. I think they, they killed the idea because they didn't think it would, I think that it, it would have, I think that the, those who were in charge of Abrams thought it would cause more problems than it would actually provide opportunity, which is sad. Um, but I think it was a business calculation. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I've always thought that that the international box office is what's driving a lot of these decisions about yeah. this particular kind of representation, um, because this is not unique to Star Wars. Let's let me right. point point out a big budget movie franchise with an LGBTQ character in it, like a a leading character, and I'll wait. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> be waiting a while. Do you guys remember? When, when the the team behind Endgame was so proud that they were gonna they were gonna have a a, a non heterosexual relationship on screen, and then oh, it ended yeah. up being the director playing the guy <laughs> for the first right. three seconds. Right. They were like, yeah. "This is what you guys were proud of. This is it right here. You sure? You want to take another crack at that, guys, and come back to us?" <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Let's That's get into the bottom. That 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 was. <laughs> That, that now was, that we got all of that out of our systems, I, I think that I think the top is important not just because it, it's more you know positive, but I think Finn is he's one of those characters who like if we go just off of like what we have, he's supposed to be somebody that we have fun with, and maybe we would want his, his stories to go other directions. But I know for me, like my my top three is is primarily just fun stuff that we have uh, with Finn. So I'm excited to see kind of like what angle you guys uh, took this from. So Mark, I'm going to send it over to you. Yeah. My third top is just John Boyega as Finn. Mm. Like I mentioned, (laughs) I I mentioned this earlier, how I was having trouble like separating Finn moments from John Boyega moments. And there are, there's so many things about his performance that I just admire uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, I'm just really impressed with his American dialect <laughs> because I've heard, you know, British or Irish or Scottish actors try to do American dialects. And when it doesn't work, you can always tell. I mean, there might be a Qui-Gon Jinn who occasionally doesn't speak. You know, there's a the, uh, there are times when he sort of drifts in and out of a, of, of a certain kind of dialect. Um, but. He just nails it, and I think that comes down to his. I don't know if it's that he had a great dial, you know, dialect coach. Coach, yeah. Um, but it's not just that. I mean, you 
you hit the nail on the head, Drew, earlier when you that scene with Harrison Ford and he's doing the chin thing. That gets me. It <laughs> makes me laugh every single time. Um, yeah, just it's just all these little moments that he plays. His comic timing. Um, I just think he's. I just think he's a joy to watch, and I think he brought a lot of um, earnestness and empathy and a certain kind of innocence to the character that made him very relatable. And <clears throat> I mean, he managed to pull off uh, an everyman who just happened to be a stormtrooper. Like, who does mm. that? Mm. So good. Yeah, I mean. It- I think, it, again, it goes back to, like, that fun aspect of him. He's somebody that, I think more than anybody else in the sequel trilogy, he's somebody you would just want to hang out with, you know? Um, and, and especially Force Awakens. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to go into my top number three because it kind of goes together, and it's Finn and Han Solo in The Force Awakens. Um like it's technically cheating but their interactions are so amazing you know we keep bringing up that the the whole you know chin thing but it starts from the very beginning with uh when finn says you can understand that thing and han says that thing can understand you you know and it, it keeps going it's so good the the mr solo line uh even you know, listen listen big deal oh yeah yeah it's it's just so great, um, I, and I think there is something deeper there. I think they get each other, uh, you know, because Finn was a stormtrooper working towards being a hero, and and Han was the smuggler who became a hero, uh, and maybe there's something in Han that sees some hope through Finn, um, somebody who was on the First Order who was able to break through that fog, and it gives him a little bit of hope for Ben. Um, maybe well, and, and Han Han started in the uh, empire like he spent he put his Very time in point. as well and it was with a goal in mind but even he knew when it was the right time to drop out was yeah and so so mark i think you're you're spot on there that john boyega does a, an absolutely fantastic job with this character and i think more than anywhere else for me at least it shines when he, he he's interacting with uh, han solo and harrison ford Good stuff. All right, Drew. Since so well, we yeah, kind of got you, ours, so uns- unceremoniously skipped over me. Um, I try. <laughs> you I keep you coming back. Job. You keep coming back. You many have tried to get rid of me, but like a crabgrass, I keep coming back. Um, my number three favorite thing <laughs> is uh, Finn's reaction to learning Poe was a spice runner and learning all the shady things that Poe can do. It was hilarious like when he asks how do you know how to do that (laughs) those little moments of character interaction build so much this kind of goes to like brandon what you were talking about how if you view rise of skywalker in isolation it shines in certain ways but when you add it to the rest of the series that's when it starts to get really troublesome this is one of those moments in light of the entire nine film saga it's it's not great but man just when just to see the two of them being friends is still really fun. Again, their relationship in the larger context, Rise of Skywalker kind of starts to fumble it completely. But again, when you look at it, just these scenes, if you had never seen another Star Wars movie before, the two of them playing off each other is hilariously fun. Not unlike yeah. 
what you're saying with uh, with Han and Finn. It's a hard thing to kind of separate those two for the Finn and Poe relationship because of what's there in the other two films. But those moments between them there, like he says, you used to be a spice runner. And then Poe's like, you used to be a stormtrooper. <laughs> it's like, come on, that's clever. <laughs> I like that scene. I know that there are problems that like Adriana brought up how the fact that they basically make him a stereotypical drugs, drug smuggler. Like, okay, that's really, that's problematic. That's not great. I can't get over how much those lines make me giggle though. Like that's funny stuff. Well, so that was my favorite. Even, even in all the things that are wrong with it, it still makes me giggle. And then as they're walking away and he's like, Poe Dameron, spice runner, runner of spice, come get your spice. <laughs> Like, you kind of imagine the way, like, Lando does, like, chapter three of the Lando Chronicles, you know? <laughs> it, it's kind of the same. You can kind of see Finn narrating Poe's life and Poe being like, if you don't stop, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah, that, uh, we could probably, I'm not to steal your thunder, Brandon, but I'm going to segue on into my second favorite because it's the same thing. It's pretty uh, much hey. the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's his, it's his chemistry with Oscar Isaac that if you think about, the original plan for The Force Awakens was to have uh, Poe die in that crash and not come back. And that, if they had filmed it that way, then they would have only had, what, maybe five minutes of screen time together, if that. Yeah. And think if about how, how impactful those few minutes are. Like, you instantly establish that there's a rapport. Um, I also love the way that there's scenes inside the TIE fighter cockpit are filmed where the camera just sort of goes around them in a circle, uh-huh. even though they're in this like closed cramped space, it's still like spinning around them and they're like shouting things at each other. That was one of those, that was a moment in watching the force awakens for the first time where I felt like, okay, this definitely feels like star Wars. Like there's that, that, you know, snappy dialogue and people are shouting things at each other. I got that definite, like Han, Leia, Luke together feeling from the two of them. Um, Mm. So yeah, that I completely agree. And like you said before with, you know, the, Rise of Skywalker, notwithstanding from where their relationship ends up, I still get a tremendous amount of enjoyment watching them on screen together. So that's yeah. never gonna, that's never going to change. That's a, that's an odd tension to live in, though. Sometimes, like when you 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 feel this natural inclination for it to go a dark one direction, it doesn't. But you still enjoy the other direction. But you're like, yeah, but what if like we had done that? And it's that's a really tough tension, I think, to live in. Um, that I, I kind of wish they had straddled a little bit better, but but it is fun. Like, and I hate that the ho- the highest praise we can heap upon it is fun, but also fun's pretty good. Uh, I mean, can't say pre- a lot of the prequels were very much fun. Hey, hey, now we're in the top. <laughs> Sorry, part. are you this is are you an angel? Section. <laughs> are, are you an angel? They live on the moons of Diego, I think. Um, have you watched the Clone Wars? Because they do live on the moons of Diego. Okay. <laughs> Oh, God. Now, uh, again, something I must have erased from my memory at some point. My number two, uh, most positive, grabbing the reins again. Um, the scene. Well, OK, here's what I wrote down. The willingness to take up the lightsaber against Kylo Ren, knowing full well that it won't go well for him in the end. That's a good one. I 
love that part because we've already shown by that point he doesn't know how to use a lightsaber. He's got really no idea. Uh, we've already seen kind of the wrath of Kylo Ren and, and his craziness and what he likes to do with his lightsaber, smashing things big time. So we know it's just not going to go well for Finn. And he knows it too. Like he's lived with the the legend of Kylo Ren amongst the ranks of the First Order, I, I'm sure of. Like he knows who Kylo Ren is and what he is capable of, and yet he is willing to go toe to toe, all in the hopes of of preventing Ray from from losing Ray again. Like I think that he feels so bad. Finn feels so bad for losing her on Takudana to Kylo Ren the first time. He's not going to let that happen again. Um, and it reminds me a lot of one of my favorite parts of Empire Strikes Back, where Luke is facing Vader and he just, you know, he squares up his shoulders, retightens the grip on his lightsaber and says, all right, I know this is not going to go well, but let's do this anyway, because it's the right thing to do. And that's kind of the, the, the vibe I get from the scene where he, he turns the lightsaber on on Starkiller base and he's just like, all right, here we go. I love that moment. It's so good. I had a soft spot for guys guys who are, are on those kind of doomed missions where they know it's the right thing to do and it's going to cost them something. And man, that's an awesome, powerful moment. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of encapsulates who he is. Like he, he, he rushes into, I mean, he does it all through the series. He, he rushes into danger without thinking about his own personal safety. He's yeah. thinking about someone else. Well, in particular, he's thinking about Ray, you know, um, that's kind of his, his, driving factor his motivation for at least the first two movies um and, and i think the last jedi novelization digs into that quite well about how you know rose sees that finn is is basically obsessed with ray and, and she doesn't understand it um but again it goes back to that idea of they're the first person that's ever actually cared for each other um and so it uh. makes absolute sense that if you are 20 something and, and have not had anybody actually see value in you as a person, that one person that does, you're going to be willing to do anything for. And it's the right thing to do, Drew. Like you said, it's the right thing to do. And I think that's something that makes Finn's character somebody who we do want to spend time with and somebody who we are okay with the character being fun. It's because we also know he has that heart in him and, and in a sense we trust him to do the right thing. So it's not like, it's not like watching Ray get tempted by the dark side and we're worried about if she's going to turn or not. We never yeah, really had as much struggle. He never he we, we always kind of we are taught that he is always going to rush in to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and he, he never has to he never hesitates. He never says, gee, I, maybe I shouldn't or I don't know what the right thing to do is. He's got that singular focus of, you know, like you had said for Ray specifically to say this person sees value in me and therefore I find value in that person, um, he, I don't think he necessarily finds his value in that person, but he sees Ray's intrinsic value and, and is willing to do everything, including lay down his own life, in order to protect her from being hurt. It's, it's moving, really. And if you think about the fact that he, you know, he was raised in the First Order 
you know, and the stormtroopers basically are cannon fodder. So he was basically like brought up to rush into situations, just you know, shooting his way through. That's a good point. And and he's able to take that and and flip it into a more positive um, expression of that. You know, in that that devotion, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to go into my number two, um, which is is actually going back to to what we were talking about just a little bit ago. Um, it's the the moment where Poe and Finn are walking by, uh, and, and Poe asks Finn to be the gen uh, general with him, and and you have that general general. Um, it's just <laughs> it, it's it's again it's fun. Uh, Finn is that character we just get to have fun watching, um, and, and just again that that weird tension. You you guys put it perfectly, where you have like what we wanted with Finn and Poe and what we got with Finn and Poe. Um, it's just a really fun moment, but I think also there's there's some meaning there. Um, I think this is a, a culmination of their brotherhood, and it's it's not just that. Poe almost immediately makes Finn a general um, after you know he takes the lead of the resistance. It's that Finn is willing to take that uh, that step to become the leader, but also that he just takes it in step. It's like when you watch it, and this is really stuck out to me this last time how he doesn't really react to it, but not in like uh, why didn't you react to that like bad acting kind of thing. It's almost like they both knew that was what was going to happen when it was time for Poe to take the lead of the resistance, even though they had never said it. Um, They just kind of knew it would happen because they, again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, understand each other on on a a deeper level, Um, even if in this case it is is more like brothers than than necessarily. Um, a relationship that we would have wanted you know i i think again if we look at just what the narrative has this moment to me is the culmination of their relationship and and it's it's interesting because you know poe gives finn his name and then he also gives him his title of general i think there's some nice symmetry going on there oh yeah that's a great point all right yeah Let's get into Here our number go. ones. Favorite thing? Favorite thing about Finn, Mark, go. My favorite Finn moment is when he confesses his true identity to Ray on Takadana. Um, the way that that scene is framed uh, when they're in the uh, when they're in the pub, uh, she's standing on a step higher than him, and so he's looking up at her and. It, Really, that's a nice way to frame their relationship because he looks up to Ray, mm. literally. And what I like about that scene is how, uh, well, first of all, they laid great groundwork for it by having Han basically see right through him. Like Han, Han knew that this kid was, you know, was not who he said he was. And he, Han also recognized that they had a relationship that. Finn needed to respect like he's basically telling him look you need to tell her the truth because you know she's going to see through that he's giving him some some advice probably first hand advice from his own experience like you need to just like 
be upfront with her because this is a relationship that should matter. And he does that because that's who he is. He's a step up kind of guy. And I think that scene where he confesses where he came from and that he just looks her right in the eye and says, I haven't, you know, I haven't been honest with you, but this is what my history is, but this is what you mean to me now. Um, that's kind of the moment I think I fell in love with Finn. Uh, he, he's kind of like, he's kind of like a baby bird because they imprint on the first person that they see or the first thing that they see. And so he, like Brandon, like you said before, like Ray and Finn have that in common and that they were each the first person that showed that they cared for the other. It was the first human kindness that they experienced. Um, so his, his loyalty towards the people that, uh, mean something to him is such an admirable quality. It's, it's one of those things that like, you know, I don't have children, Drew, you have children. Like, I imagine this is what, this is why you want to show them these movies because these values and traits are what you want to instill in your children. And I think Finn is just a amazing role model for kids because he's he's always stepping up and doing the right thing even when it's the difficult thing you know telling her that he had been dishonest or that not just been dishonest but he had been a stormtrooper that had had to have been a difficult thing to admit to somebody that you look up to um so that you know ultimately no matter how i feel about the way the rise of skywalker turned out what's going to continue to bring me back to these films is the characters. And as much as I've kind of bashed on JJ Abrams in this, he does have to be given credit for the fact that he cast these characters um, and wrote these characters. And the force awakens, the number one thing that I fell in love with the force awakens was the new characters. And it was this dynamic that they have with each other and this closeness and the bond that is established so quickly is what will continue to keep me coming back to these movies again and again. That's an awesome pick. Um, if while you were talking about, it, I was like, I'm not even sure I remember that scene from force awakens, but now I have to go back and pay more attention to it because clearly it's more important than I had given it credit for. Yeah. It's right before he leaves to go on his own, uh, his own quest. And she has her vision where she hears, the little girl crying downstairs. Yeah. yeah, it's right before that scene. Okay. I have to pay more attention next time. Well, and I think it, it says a lot about Ray's character and also like the relationship that they develop that like yes, she's she's struck by the revelation that he was a stormtrooper and that he lied to her, but she also respects him owning up to the fact that he lied about it and being honest about it. And she still wants to to have him as a part of her life um, and is still upset when he leaves um, and, and that he recognizes that in her so much that, you know, he comes back um, to, you know, go after her when, when Kylo is carrying her away in uh, at, you know, the, the castle battle. It, their relationship is just so good. It's it's one of the best parts of the sequel trilogy, is is Finn and Ray. And I, 
I think I could have gotten like three movies of nothing but Finn and Ray, and still this statement would hold true. I wanted more. <laughs> I want more of those two characters together. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, Drew. I think that sends it to you. Okay, this moment. Um, it's kind of crazy how we're processing through Rise of Skywalker tonight, um, because my number one moment is the last sequence of all three of the characters after the victory at Exegol. Like when all three of them have gathered together in that embrace where it's Finn and Poe and Ray and just the three of them all hugging on each other. Um, the reason I think this is the top moment for Finn is because this is a culmination of what he's been working for the entire movie. He has been trying to get them to work as a team the entire time. He's built a relationship with Ray. He's built a relationship with Poe. He's trying to get Poe and Ray to build their own relationship by working together, and it hasn't worked. Um, we see that there's a, a great deal of tension between Poe and Ray at the beginning of the film, where Poe wants her out in the field, like, you're the best warrior we've got. You should be on the front lines. We need you out there. And Ray is very convinced that she's not ready. She's got these other things she has to finish. She's got a training. She's got other responsibilities and she can't be doing these things. And Finn has been working so hard at getting the two people he cares about the most to get together in his little circle of family. Um, and to see it come together there at the end is pretty special. Cause like you can see where he's got his arms around the two of them and he's, he looks up like in, in a moment of gratitude, in a moment of thankfulness to say, we all made it through Hey, we all survived. But we are a family now, the three of us. Like, it's when all three of them are finally together, and they've been—they haven't even really done anything together. Together, like Ray was busy on the planet side, facing off against Palpatine, and Poe is up in his X-wing, flying around. So the three of them aren't even together doing things. Like, I'm trying to replay the whole film in my head. The only time the three of them are doing things together is on Pasana, right? Because after yeah. that. Well, then they go to the Death Star, but then Ray goes off on herself. Like, she is constantly leaving the group. And Poe is dragged down by his responsibilities to the Resistance, where they can't all get together. But to see it fulfilled in the end, and to see that what Finn has been working on so hard uh, has worked and been successful, is extremely rewarding. Um, he's been, like we've talked about, he's been driven by... Uh, serving those he cares about, right? You know, doing the right thing means stepping in front of his friends in danger in between those two things to keep his friends safe. And he's done it. You know, the fact that all three of them made it out of this, this series of movies alive is pretty interesting um, because there were plenty of times where that wasn't always a guarantee. You know, some of us here may have thought Finn should have died at the end of Last Jedi, you know, we know that Poe was not originally intended to make it out of The Force Awakens. So having all three make it out alive is pretty huge. And to see Finn feel that is, is, is again, it's pretty dang moving. I love that. So I want to go back because we talked about Finn's Force connection. And I think the reason it's important in The Rise of Skywalker is because that is something he relies on in his bond with Rey. He's, he... he has connected with Poe on a, a different, in different ways, and but one of them is with their military prowess, right? He can fly, he can shoot, and he and Poe can work together in a military situation, which is demonstrated 
by the Star Destroyer uh, infiltration and exfiltration. Poe and Ray, or no, like Finn and Ray, don't really get the same kind of adventure opportunity, the two of them together. So they need something else to bridge that gap to say more than just, hey, we have a friendship, but we also have a deeper connection than that. And I think that's what the Force connection is intended to actually demonstrate. Is it the best use of that connection? Eh, probably not. Does it have greater implications for the story than what it's used for? Yeah, it does. And would have been nice if they had delved into that. But again, if we take what we get on screen and work with that, I think that's what that force sensitivity was supposed to demonstrate is that actual connection between the two of them. It allows Finn to empathize with Ray to say, hey, I understand you have this problem. Like, you're learning who you are and you're scared and you don't like that and I get that. And the reason I get that is one, because I was a stormtrooper and didn't like it and had to do something about it. But two, I also know that you're going through this issue. Like, I understand you are dealing with this struggle, whereas not everybody else in the Resistance even understood that struggle. Leia trusted him with that information and used it to strengthen their bond and Finn has been offering that support to her and she's been rejecting it for the entire film. But again, at the end, when they have all made it through, he can kind of see the fruit of all of his labor. And it's just the most satisfying thing for him. And to see him get what he wants in the end is really, really cool. So that moment of all three of them just hugging on each other right before they moved to Tatooine is really, <laughs> really special. I think the the re- like you mentioned that they didn't have a lot of screen time together or they didn't do very many things together in The Rise of Skywalker. And yet, yeah, I, I agree. I think that scene where they're reunited at the end does feel very cathartic for them as a as a group. And I think that's a testament to how much chemistry they have. Just the, the three of these yeah, just actors. Just the three of the leads. Just have so much incredible chemistry together um, that even, if, you know, they they did the heavy lifting because the writing didn't always do that. <laughs> yeah, the amount of time that all three characters are in the same room over the course of these three movies is like you measure it in seconds, not in minutes and, and half hours and things. It's unbelievable. Like how little time they all spend with each other. And yet we all, it's like, we know they're the three heroes and we know they're a team. We know they have to work together. And in the end it all comes together and it's crazy how little time they actually spend together. And when they do, they're not exactly the most functional group of human beings either. But you would you wouldn't expect them to be. I mean, that's that's part of the fun is that they are flawed and imperfect, and they get on each other's nerves like real family does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. I I love how how Poe and Ray clearly do not get along, <laughs> and how Finn's kind of like the the one who goes between the two parents, like say like, see why is he in a bad mood? He's always in a bad mood. It's like, come on, you understand these things. Very very cool little family dynamic. All right, so to kind of wrap it for me to round it out with my my number one, I think these kind of all go well together um, because mine is an is a culmination of Finn's character. Um, I have to go back to to what Drew alluded to before about Finn dying in the Last Jedi, um, because when he was flying towards that, originally I did want him to die as well, 
and I think now with Rise of Skywalker, we can see the fire and passion that he has in him is probably the dark side. Um, and I, I think that, you know, he he didn't really understand, you know, what, what Ray, uh, excuse me, what Rose was fighting for, the, the whole not fighting what we hate, saving what we love um, idea. And I think in Rise of Skywalker, we see that he's learned that lesson and that he is fighting to save what he loves and not um, just to end the First Order. Um, and that moment is when he stays behind to uh, shoot the cannon um, at the, the bridge of the Star Destroyer. Um, it, it's just, it, I think it's really powerful, not only that he stays behind and is willing to sacrifice himself again, which is something that we've we've talked about ad nauseum here, but it shows that he's learned the lesson. He's basically doing the exact same thing um, that he was doing in Last Jedi um, at its at its core, except this time it's actually going to have a factor. It could be the factor in winning the war. And I also love that there's that that subtle, unverbalized recognition between him and Rose that's like, hey, I got it. I know what you were telling me. Like, thank you. Now I'm doing it the right way. Um, and we, we've talked about how, you know, Finn always rushes into things. Um, I think this is a moment where he doesn't rush into things. I think he, he has taken a second to stop and think, you know, you can kind of feel it in the way that John Boyega plays it. He knows, I think this time where he's, he's willing to sacrifice himself, he knows what's about to go down. He knows that he has no shot of getting out of there alive, uh, but that he also knows that it has a purpose this time, which I don't know if it had before. You know, e- even him picking up the lightsaber against mm-hmm. Kylo Ren, he gets killed. Ray probably gets killed after that, as far as he knows, you know, because he, he, he doesn't know she has the force. He doesn't know that she has that inside of her at that point in, in the story. Um, same thing with Last Jedi, you know, if he had flown into that battering ram cannon sure it may have blown that up but you know you still have all those walkers there and things like that like in the the grand scheme it wasn't going to have a big impact and this is finally the moment when he slows down um when he thinks about his actions that he's able to now do what he is naturally inclined to do but do it in a more effective way and again going to what mark said about role models and this is what we want kids to to look to um i think that's a a really powerful message that's not just it's not just doing the good deed it's doing the good deed so that it has the right effect yeah yeah absolutely nicely done guys we did it we said we didn't have a lot of lot to say about Finn, but we've been doing this for like two and a half hours. Hooray! So See, that wasn't so hard, was it? Now, can we go back to like the math portion of things? Absolutely because... not. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, if you carry the, uh, yeah, oh, man, I don't. Yeah, I, I, was, I was waiting for you to work decimals into it. You know. Give me a minute and I'll I'll come up with something. I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very particular set of skills I can I possess here. Not very necessary Phew. skills, but All they're right. there. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh 
yeah, if you want more of Drew and his decimals, uh, go uh, over to our Facebook group, uh, Clashing Saber Star Wars Community. That was a terrible segue, but I'm going with it because we've been at this it for a while. It wasn't great. Um, hey, um, have, you, have you had a chance to poke your eyes at the latest article draft that's in the box? Uh, I have not, but thank you for giving you wanna, me the reminder that you were uh, supposed to give me. I, I told you. On air. Uh, do you want to know what the title of it is? What's the title of it? Tease us. Title of the 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 draft title is uh, Joseph Campbell is holding you back. <gasps> Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Stay well, tuned. For I'm changing that. Um. No, come on. <laughs> Do you know how many like revisions I went through on just the title of that stupid thing? Uh. You're gonna, you're, you will you will equal parts love and hate what I think I have to say. <laughs> that's so usually it, uh, true. Yeah, I was going to say that's pretty much par for the course. Standard course. We're we're gonna raise the level of discussion. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Well, if you want to see that article, uh, you again can join our Facebook group at the Clashing Sabers Star Wars community, or go over to ClashingSabers.net and um, subscribe to that. Please subscribe to the podcast network. You will get all of our fantastic shows, including Don't Burn the Sacred Text, where Lindsay and I dig into the books, Adriana's Amazing Starships, which she has some uh, episodes coming out that I'm very excited about, and of course, Mark, you put in uh, great effort to Forever Star Wars, and I still... uh, uh, stand that it's the best podcast on the internet not oh. best star wars podcast bed po- best podcast <laughs> full stop oh dang um, wow yeah uh, wow uh if you want more clashing sabers for some reason you can go over to twitter and follow us at clashing sabers uh drew you want to tell them what you got going on when you're not uh calming down a crying baby uh, you could find me on the Twitters at the Drew Brett. It's really clever, I know. Um, but what, as things get posted and approved, and uh, as soon as I change titles back from whatever Brandon <laughs> changed his name to, I should not I'll have given the you links guys up that there control. so you guys can check this out. Yeah, I'm really surprised you let me keep admin on that site. It's kind of fun. Oh, poor. I use my powers only for good. Only for good. It is my. It is my blessing. It is my curse. Good is a point of view, Drew. Is it? We don't have time for that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, tell them where they can follow you on Twitter and, and get all your great insights. Yeah, I, I'm over on Twitter where I never, ever tweet about math. And you can follow me there at DJM Marquee. I'm also on Instagram at mmarquee1205. And as Brandon was so incredibly generous with his uh, uh, what he said about Forever Star Wars, I did want to mention that I am working on an episode related to Galaxy's Edge that I'm very excited about, Ooh. and that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Awesome. All right, so that'll all be here on the feed, and stay tuned also for more on uh, our Patreon that will support our nonprofit uh, literacy branch. More coming on that soon once I get through this month of February that is like three four years long already you're almost there you can do it oh man i can see the finish line and i'm gonna make it you're gonna be i might trip and fall (laughs) i I almost said like rise of skywalker but i didn't want to oh wait no i just did oh why did i oh you know what guys this has never felt more appropriate than than right now for the finn episode batch eight Hi-ho. Hi-ho. <laughs>
What if we could be like, hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> look at all this stuff. <laughs> we might have to retire the Batch 8. No, we can't retire Batch 8. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.